Right, let's get this going. Uh, right, press the button. Where's the button? Um, I don't know. Right, uh, fuck. Um, just where's the? Right, uh, just play the intro music. That may be an idea, Duncan. For fuck's sake, this you know, one year into the shows and you don't know where the fucking buttons are. Ah, just play the intro music. <laughs> Oh dear God! For fuck's sake, that's not the right button. Um, right, that's that's the wrong intro music. That's like so fucking thirty shows ago. Uh, right, um, try this. The podcast under the stairs will feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners will find offensive. Whoa, 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 sweet child of mine. That's just not going to cut it. That's just not going to cut it at all. We don't need some fucking regular podcast under the stairs music. What we need is something to celebrate. One year, motherfucker. One year, bitches. Let's do this. One year celebration coming right up. Welcome to the one year anniversary show for the podcast Under the Stairs. That's right, one year of podcast of me. Oh my god, that's quite depressing. One year listening to me. Oh, you can come up with better things. Let's bring the music back. Let's cheer things up straight away. Um, but there we go, that's a bit better. Um, yeah, so this is the one year anniversary show for the podcast Under the Stairs. Um, what? This is. It's quite emotional, guys. Uh, I never thought uh, I would be doing this for a year um, because I just genuinely didn't think many people would want to listen to me talk about movies uh, but you've have stuck in there some of you have been there from the start some people have come on later there's still people just joining the group just now or just finding the podcast which blows my mind and hopefully you're all enjoying it as much as I enjoy making these shows because that's what it's about first and foremost it's about having fun um, and chatting about horror movies which is something I'm you know very passionate about and um, I think that was one of the things I said right back on show number one was that I do have a passion for horror. It's a genre I've grown up with since I would, since I was about five or six. I remember seeing like Universal classic monsters on the telly and things like that. And then by eight, I was watching slasher movies due to some very dodgy babysitting. But um, yeah, it's just a genre I have a lot of time for, a, a passion for, you would say. And what's been the most rewarding thing of doing this entire podcast is that it's made me able to connect with other people out there that are like-minded and even if your opinions on the movies that I like or dislike are different and we all love horror and that's first and foremost what I want to do is kind of share my opinions on horror with people out there that know their shit you guys know your shit and you have been an absolute privilege and a joy to chat to for the year that I've been doing this um, you make the shows effortless really because your feedback your communication especially on the Facebook page the Facebook page is 
is something that I only started just to promote this show and the fact that it's become like a, a small horror community, people just posting news stories which I didn't know about or just engaging with, with other people that have opinions on things. Um, it's been it's been probably one of the best things to come out of this whole podcast. Uh, not to not to forget the fact that we've got Baz v Horror. Um, Baz will be coming up later on the show to reminisce over some of his times on the show with me, as well as do a very special Ask Duncan segment, which was uh, suggested by our good listener, um, good friend and listener and podcaster now, uh, Rachel. Um, so I think we did about 13 or 14 questions on that segment from, from the Facebook page, which was a lot of fun. I dare say my answers are different now that I've had a bit of time to think about them, but I uh, forget, who cares? Um, it's all about the fun. Um, so this show has, like I said, um, it has a small review from myself and Johnny Krug looking at White of the Eye from 1987. Um, we have the special kind of me sitting down chatting to Baz segment, then the, the Ask Duncan segment, and then finally the podcast will be closed out with a very special um, film review with myself, Bo Ransdell and Jamie Jenkins chatting about the new Jim Mickle movie, Cold in July, which really kind of finishes off the Mickle mania from episode number 16 which Jamie Jenkins joined me for which was a lot of fun and we finally get to close out that chapter um, in between then we will have voice messages played from um, some of my favourite podcasters uh, it's kind of humbled me that people have kind of taken the time uh, to to kind of say some nice things about me some of them in a very kind of heartfelt way others in more comical ways uh, I'm looking at you devour the podcast and particularly Bo Ransdell no I'm not changing the name of my podcast from podcast under the stairs to podcast under the scares because um, that's just not going to happen that's going to confuse things a year into it you can't change your name I am not Prince I can't just be changing my name. This podcast can't be known as the podcast formerly known as, right? It's not going to happen. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to take a very short break just now. When I come back, myself, Johnny Krug, chatting about White the Eye right after this. Hey, Duncan, this is your friend Gary, a.k.a. The Beard, just checking in with you and wishing you a happy one-year anniversary for the podcast Under the Stairs, or Teapots, as it has affectionately been called by many people. Uh, yeah, what can I say, man? You've uh, come a long way in a year. Your shows are pretty much popular when they came out, you know? Must be your Scottish debonair attitude, or, you know, the fact that you can make the women that I love, you know, swoon with every word you speak you know what that's like I don't know what that's like but people seem to like me okay <laughs> he's a nice guy nah really though I think you, uh, you're great and uh, you're a great friend we have had uh, great conversations and um, we have great shows together too so I hope we can continue to collaborate in the future and uh, you keep on doing different stuff man because I love I love folks stay away from franchise or not stay away but you know just shoot me something I haven't seen before. I would love that. But, you know, and keep uh, trying to scare the shit out of Baz. He had not been really that successful at it all the way. But, you know, find some stuff to uh, wet his wee Scottish pants and uh, go with that. Uh, love you, brother. Keep on keeping on and uh, keep on doing these shows for as long as you can till you decide to hang up your kilt. See you from the Windy City. Bye-bye. Three, two, one. Oh, are we are we waiting for you? Uh, are you gonna start? I don't know. One of us needs to start with a with a bad accent. Oh, I figured you were gonna. Oh, 
I thought you were going to start. Oh, I got it. All right, check this out. Hi, Faith and Begora. It's Duncan's anniversary with his podcast. Hi, tight, hi, tight, hi. <laughs> That's Scottish, right? No, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he won't know the difference. He's drunk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's face it. All Scottish people talk vaguely like a pirate. <laughs> So we meet again, Trebek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we all just do Connor? Oh, we should do all. We all should. Yeah, we should do That's Connor. not what your mother said last night, Trebek. <laughs> Hello, Duncan. Oh. Hello, Duncan. This is Devour the Podcast. <laughs> and your mother's a whore. Happy anniversary, Duncan. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. <laughs> and we're not even drinking. Great, now I'm just turning into Mr. Plinkett. Yeah, you, it, it's really, really going downhill fast. <laughs> and this is our podcast. I don't That's the Chicago way. Huh? That's how you get Capone. I don't understand what he says because he speaks in German. Or French. It's the first anniversary of Duncan's podcast. <laughs> oh, wow, that's way better than anything. Yeah, that was really good. So anyway, all right. This is a, so, yeah. This is our happy anniversary. Uh, this is our awful attempt at, get, at wishing Duncan a happy anniversary for a one year of podcasting under the scare, under the scares. Under oh my hey, god, why is this cool. podcast not called that? Oh my why god, change that shit. Name it that. Change that Duncan, shit now. We we are sending you a message to tell you to change the name of your podcast to obviously the podcast under the scares. Yes. Yeah, the I fact, that didn't come up ever. Right. It's a really great podcast. I personally feel very honored that he, he cites us as a point of inspiration. And uh, But yeah, change the name of your podcast. Yeah. The, your, the, your podcast name is stupid now. Yeah. Hey, I helped him with that. Well, that explains well, everything. Yeah, I mean, at least he's got somebody <laughs> to point the finger at. Because <laughs> like in five seconds, we had podcast under the scares. <laughs> Shut your trap. <laughs> Happy one year, Duncan. I love you so much, and I have been so honored to have been a part of it as much as I have, and for you to have been a part of our shows as much as you have. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it, it's so incestuous, it's very sexy. Weird. Well, I am Southern. Yes, yeah, so am I, but I don't fuck relatives. <laughs> Mostly because they're unappealing. <laughs> Otherwise... Oh, I mean, you go to a couple of family reunions and there's a looker or two, but I'll take a stab. That's a dick joke. Making eyes over the potato salad. How how closely are we related? Oh, that's not very. <laughs> oh, shit. We should do it. <laughs> so, well, yeah, so this is our, anyway... Congrats, Duncan. So glad that you've made it this far. You haven't killed yourself. And Bat or Baz hasn't killed you yet. Well, yeah, that's that's just a matter of time. Yeah. You're going to you're going to get one movie and Baz is going to just go over the edge. That's what happens when you watch too many of these movies. Yes. But but, you know, uh, a happy anniversary and here's to another great year. Yeah. Looking forward to it. 
Painted high. And welcome back to this very special one year anniversary show for the podcast Under the Stairs. So, you've been hearing a lot of stuff from a lot of different people, a lot of well wishes from some listeners and podcast friends. Um, I think it's time to get a movie review in though, because that's primarily what this show does. Um, so... This movie came across my my desk a while ago. Um, it was released through Arrow Video as a special Blu-ray package, but this movie is from 1987. Um, and at the time, I watched it and I was like, I need to speak to someone about this, but everyone I spoke to had not seen it. Um, and then, uh, just a couple of shows ago, I had a friend on, Mr Johnny Krug, and we were sitting chatting and obviously we have an affinity for jowls and slashers and things like that and I, I asked him if he'd seen it he said no um and i thought this could this could be quite interesting here so with that in mind i've invited them back on the show so listeners i give to you the encyclopedia of slasher films my very good friend mr johnny krug how you doing sir good what's up man i'm doing great i'm i'm doing i'm actually really excited that you're back on and doubly excited that we're going to be chatting about this movie because um i really want your take on this <laughs> oh for sure dude i'm glad to be back but also talking about a movie i've never even heard of yeah i mean i, I don't know i don't know what the deal with this movie was um in terms of i've done some reading some documentaries on the disc as well that i've checked out and no one really seems to apparently when the movie came out it had had mixed reviews but the the positive reviews were like glowing you know people were saying this is a it's a really artistic movie it's really interesting um but on the other side there was a lot of reviewers that just completely hated this movie just didn't get it didn't understand what was supposed to be doing it came out you know while the the at the height of well probably towards the end actually the height of the the kind of rebirth of the slasher sort of thing in america and um you know, it, it just seemed to polarise people, so um, I'll be interested to talk about it. So the movie is White of the Eye, came out in 1987, but before we get to that review, what have you been up to recently, man? You, you were kind of talking off air about some music projects you're involved with. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of, man, I've been yeah, I've been stretching myself pretty thin lately. <laughs> I've, uh, I'm doing a, a Sludge Doom project right now, writing a lot of music for that, and I'm doing a, like an alternative grunge type project, and then... Uh, a friend and friend and, and I have a project that uh, is like a comedy kind of parody thing going on, but uh, that one I can't talk too much about because yeah. he's 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 kind of uh, the helmer of that one. <laughs> I'm just doing the guitar tracks. Yeah, it's the hush hush. Um, <laughs> have you have you seen any horror movies in the last week or anything horror based that's been good or bad at all? Well, actually. Uh... I've seen a few things. I I uh, picked up the Scream Factory release of Phantom of the Paradise, which oh yeah, it's just amazing. Like the uh, I mean, you, you got that a while back in the UK, right? Yeah, I don't put it out a while ago here. I I think um, but I think the special. I think Scream Factory got better special features on their their version. I think you may have more features than the UK release. Well, and that's see the thing is that's I I thought these were new features, but some of them I think are recycled from maybe the the uh, Arrow video release because um, some of them have interviews with William Finley and he's been dead since two thousand twelve. Oh yeah, oh right so, there. Yes, yeah, so I think maybe they just recycled some of the stuff, but I mean it's it's really excellent. I, I'm loving the transfer and it's all the features are great. And I picked up Curtains the re-release or the the first official release of that. Yes, yeah, how's that? I, I mean, I've, I saw Curtains 
years ago on VHS. Um, and I remember that being a really strange movie. <laughs> it, it, it holds up with it, with being uh, so odd. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't remember. I, I remember reading a bit about it the, that the there was a kind of conflict of interest. I think uh, the guy that originally directed it was a, I think he was a director of photography. Um, that's that was what his main role was, and this was his first film. And um, his original cut of the movie is like fifty minutes long. And uh, they gave it to a producer to re-edit because he, he'd done it very... Cause, and I always remember it being visually quite a stunning movie for the time period. Um, and I think they, whatever they did, they started incorporating... They started refilming sections to put a slasher thread through that movie, which didn't actually exist in the original cut. Yeah, I had heard that the uh, the original cut was like very supernatural. Yeah, that's what I'd heard as well, yeah. And the, the, the studio at the time had basically said, you know, supernatural movies aren't selling. Slashers are what are selling. Um, so they, they started filming like this other story, which she managed to, to work in, which is really strange. I, 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 is, the original, is the original cut on the Blu-ray, do you know, or is it? On the Blu-ray, I haven't seen this feature yet, but I know it does. It's supposed to have some original footage from that. Oh, like Because that's why the, the release date got pushed back a few weeks, was so they could uh, add that to the actual features. But the movie itself, I mean, it it holds up. I mean, the transfer you were saying about the, you know, for a slasher, the visuals and stuff, it, it looks awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I need to, I've just, uh, I'm currently waiting on my my, um, my American Legion Blu-ray player arriving. And then when that arrives, I imagine my wallet is going to be emptied. Because um, <laughs> you guys are getting some, I know, I know it's, it's the grass is always greener on the other side. American people always say that the guys in the UK get really good stuff, but that's what um, I yeah, that's what I think too. Every time I see an, <laughs> every time I see an arrow release, I'm like, damn it! <laughs> but on the, on the flip side of that as well, there's been some things, especially the last the last year. I think with Scream Factory doing a lot of John Carpenter stuff, um, which hasn't been done on on Blu-ray in this country. Um, that that kind of grabbed my attention, and there's been some really quirky and obscure slasher movies coming out on that label at the moment and then obviously it's expanded out if Synapse is doing things like uh, Curtains um, that yeah there's a lot that needs to be bought I think <laughs> my oh, wife will be happy about that Johnny she's going to she's going <laughs> to hit the roof but um, you know the needs must the the thing with um, Scream Factory too is I, I've noticed they must they must be pretty close with John Carpenter because at Comic Con this year they released the list of like the next out of 15 movies they're releasing uh-huh. And there's a ton more Carpenter on there, so it, it's pretty exciting for for uh, us Carpenter fans because I mean, so many movies are just gonna you know get treated right finally instead of just yeah. having you know the interactive menu as a special feature. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, remember I always joke about that, but there was a long period of time there you would buy a DVD like when DVD was like at its height and. Um, the DVD would cost. It would be quite expensive when a DVD came out, and your 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 special feature was like something like the original theatrical trailer. I know and that was that... it, and you were like, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> there was there was one I got. Uh, I I'm not sure which movie it was, but it's something I really loved. I remember, and I bought it for maybe like twenty five dollars when Blu-rays or not Blu-rays when DVDs first came out, <laughs> and the only feature on it was like basically like movie notes where you would have to just scroll page to page reading all these notes. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the lamest shit I've ever seen on anything. 
<laughs> I don't know. Things are, that's what I quite like about companies like Arrow and Scream Factory is that, um, I've said it before in other shows, that they, they make a, they kind of make a bit of a celebration out of a release. You know, where possible, they try and track down people of interest where if it's not the director they'll try and find someone who was you know had a more pivotal position they'll speak to actors and actresses you know and they'll try and collate as much information that when you finally get that it's like a definitive release so you've got all the special features they could possibly put in there um you know even down to things like special artwork and posters and things like that i mean it's it's i mean it's geared to be collectible uh, which i think a lot of these movies especially the ones from the 80s um if you've grown up you've watched these movies and not been able to get them that's kind of what you want you want kind of you want the release first and foremost right but if it comes with bells and whistles attached to it that's a great thing as well oh yeah especially i mean uh, screen factory does that a lot where um if you pre-order from them, they'll send you. I know with when they did Halloween two, they they would send you like uh, a Halloween two nurses cap, oh, and just fuck. just random things like that, which I thought was really cool. I mean, that's just little things like that. It's like you know, if they're only making so many of them, you know, it's it's kind of cool to have one. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I've I've um I went on a bit of a binge recently with uh, some of the the Arrow things. I finally managed to track down, and this has been like elusive for me for God knows how long. Um, the Dawn of the Dead Blu-ray release they did and it had a limited run it basically only came out for I think the print sold out within the first year and they've never reprinted it that was it and they go for there's very few of them that are up online unopened and those ones sell for well over £100 which is oh, just wow. Crazy money, um. But the the used ones, like on eBay, are like forty pound, up to fifty pound. And I, I just refused to spend that amount of money on a on a Blu-ray. And um, I was on eBay a couple of weeks ago, and clearly someone had either inherited the Blu-ray or was selling off an ex's stuff, um, because <laughs> they had they had it up, and I got it for like seventeen pound plus like oh, a wow. postage and package, and it arrived, and it's immaculate. Yeah, they didn't know what they had. <laughs> yeah, clearly didn't know what they had because, like I say, everyone else is selling it for for ridiculous amounts of money. So that's like my, it's like the crown in my collection at the moment. That and the, they did um, earlier on in the year they released a, a special collector's edition of Texas Chainsaw Two, um, which oh, is just we need that. Yeah, it's just fucking full of. Do you like Chainsaw Two? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, in the series one and two for me are equal. I, I love both of those equally. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I love that movie so much, but this thing is, it's a crazy release. Um, they've got obviously the Blu-ray, but they have like a ton of a uh, Toby Hooper short movies, like the movies oh. he made right at the start of his career on like a separate disc. That's cool. So, so it's like a lot of just just really weird fucked up shit that he was doing before he went off and did uh, Chainsaw. Uh, one, but um, yes, and the it's all kind of hand drawn, almost sort of kind of comic book esque artwork they did for the full thing. So each there's like an individual, there's like three individual packages within the case, and each package pulls out and it opens, and one says you know Texas, the second one's Chainsaw, and then the third one says Massacre Two, um, and all the stuff. It's like really really cool, and I had sent them a, a tweet at the time saying. This is amazing. More of this, please. You know, you need to <laughs> you need to do more of this. And uh, for whatever reason, the limited edition version of that hasn't sold out yet with Arrow. 
which just uh, I, I don't know if it's people don't like that movie or what's happening but they, they've still got loads of them in stock in fact they did a, a, a sale with them recently where it dropped from the 25 uh, pounds that they were originally selling it for for like 10 pounds uh, damn which is just crazy because I don't do that Scream do the same I think uh, every every six months or something they do like one of these wacky flash sales you know, everything must go um, <laughs> so uh yeah, really, really, really cool. Um, but yeah, that 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 was a, a an aside there. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to jump out really quickly. You're going to hear the trailer for White of the Eye when we return. I'm looking forward to chatting about this movie with Johnny Krug, and we will see if we can maybe pique your interest to hunt this movie down. Um, we're going to be right back after this. <laughs> ago she married the man of her dreams i love you more now than i did then but does she really know him do you baby how much is she willing to understand you know i do or forgive i couldn't believe it it's like it's like somebody else is doing it and i'm watching and i'm and i'm going crazy this is insanity i don't believe it i think you're making this whole thing up any longer. Finally, she must ask herself if the man she married is a man she knows. Me too. I got the Welcome back. So you have just heard the trailer for White of the Eye. Like I said before, that movie came out in 1987. Uh, the director was Donald Camel, uh, who didn't do many films um, and kind of famously committed suicide in the mid-90s. Um, I'm assuming it was through depression, uh, but you you can never tell. I, I would be, I'd be assuming quite a lot, but... Uh, I get that feeling. That's probably probably what happened. But um, the movie stars. Um, I'm not going to go through everyone, but stars David Keith, Kathy Moriarty, Alan Rosenberg, R. Evans, Michael Green, Danielle Smith, Alberta Watson, William G. Schilling, and David Chow. Uh, the synopsis for this movie is: in a wealthy and isolated desert community, a sound expert is targeted as the prime suspect for a series of brutal murders of local suburban housewives who were attacked and mutilated in their homes. As he desperately tries to prove his innocence, his young wife starts to uncover mysteries of her own. So, um, Johnny, you're my guest. So, uh, as customary on this show, I will I will give the floor to yourself to start us off. What did you make of White of the Eye? Well, I went into it, like, honestly, not reading anything about it. I just went based off of what you had told me. So... I went into a blind, and I did. At first, I didn't expect it to be so. Uh, like it, it was, it was very, very giallo esque, and it's art, arts. You know, like it, it was. There were a lot of artsy shots and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, just in the first murder alone of the, of the entire movie is, you know, you see 
the goldfish and then the woman and just the way they work with all the, the colors of red, you know, just splattering everywhere. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I don't know. This movie, to me, it, it <laughs> you can look at it on a superficial level. And then at the end of it, you can, you know, when you try to think about it, like that's when it really kind of opens up for you, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, when you and I read a review afterwards that had said the same thing, that there's so much in depth in this movie that's that's below the surface that you got to that makes you think. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one thing I, I really kind of liked about it, because I thought that it had kind of an uneven feel to me, which which is always kind of cool with these movies, especially ones you haven't heard of. But the movie, I I I, I quite enjoyed it. I, I would say that uh, it, it took me a few minutes to kind of grasp what was going on, because it, it's kind of. I don't want to say Tarantino, but it's kind of it jumps back and forth. It jumps back and forth in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was that was one thing where I was like, oh, he's got longer hair now, so <laughs> this must be in the past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's got this um, the way the way it's shot. I think that's what like kind of threw me off the first time I watched it. Probably most of anything is that basically you get a story set ten years before, but there's not as if there's like a like a dream sequence where the screen goes like a, a montage dream sequence and then you get this clip. It's literally like someone closes a door and then the next thing you know, you're 10 years before and there's it's basically piecing together individual parts of a, an event that happened 10 years before. And the only real way that you have of knowing it was 10 years before, it's like you say, one, um, the main character has, uh, has like a... a I want to say almost like a, an American Indian style mullet. That <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, and he has he has these. He obviously is wearing a lot of kind of necklaces that have like uh, animals teeth and things like. That. Once again, very American Indian kind of feeling. Um, but at the same time, uh, the the screen color is just a slightly bluer tint through it. But that is all you get, and they they give you. And it's not as if you see something, you go, oh, right, that's why he's, he said that in a previous sentence. It's like a snapshot, and then you're back where you are in the story. So there is a really uneven feel with that. Um, I, I would totally agree with you. That opening sequence to me, that opening kill, screams are gentle to me. And like the, 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 the rich colour of the blood, the, the fact that you get like... Um, well, one, it's a glove killer, which is like the classic jail thing. But um, you get like this... You get intense close-ups on people's eyes, um, which is incredibly well shot. And you know that kind of that sort of thing. Because I, when I first watched it, um, and you get this really, there's a really weird soundtrack. Because the the soundtrack in this movie, um, well, the scoring of this movie was actually done by one of the guys in Pink Floyd. Um, really? It was, yeah, Nick Mason did the the full soundtrack to this movie, and. Oh, yeah. And as a result, I can kind of hear it in bits. There's kind of proggy, sort of weird, sort of synthy bits where, you know, like, uh, kind of, almost kind of slide guitar playing over the top. And But the next thing you know, you'll get, like, um, opera. Like, like um, opera, opera playing, and our character is, our main character is a, he's a hi-fi specialist. He makes custom hi-fi parts. And apparently it does them so well that he's... In, great demand by all the rich people that live um, in the area of, I think it's Arizona he lives in. Um, so they're all quite interested in, you know, stuff he's got this this backlog of people that wants his gear. But um, 
he is really into a lot of really dramatic opera music and he will sing that while he's in his car. When you cut to other people though, you get like a combination of rock music, pop music, disco, just depending on what character's on. So the sim track plays a kind of part as well. And in certain sequences, especially with the, like the wider landscape sequences, um, that's where that proggy stuff comes to come, uh, starts to come in. So even the sim track itself has like a, a kind of uneven feel, which is quite strange. Um, it makes the movie a wee bit more arty than uh, it necessarily should be if that makes any sense um oh yeah there, and... there are some stings in there some musical stings that are just mm. kind of they're very like uh, almost uh unnerving in the way they're they're inserted into the film and uh yeah. i like that i that's why uh, that's one of the things i think I, that the visual along with the soundtrack actually works in this movie's favor yeah and but um the... The, the thing that we don't get a lot of is we don't necessarily get a lot of killings in this movie as well. But when he does kill someone, it's it's pretty brutal. Um, I mean, the, there's one particular kill sequence where he grabs a woman, turns her upside down, drops her on her head to knock her out, wraps her in a towel, then ties her up in like electrical wire, then fills up the bath and then puts her in the bath while she is alive... And while she's trying to like gasp for air, she's obviously drowning, he pulls her out the water long enough for her to catch her breath and then he basically pushes her back down, drowning her. While he, while he does that, he kind of almost emulates um, an old uh, slasher movie, came out about the same time, came out the same year actually, a cycle called Peeping Tom, and that he holds a mirror in front of her so she can see herself die, which is fucking really, really, really evil. And, and we think, because the camera pans away after that, we think, oh, he's drowned her, that's horrible. Later on, the detective takes her main character to, to see the crime scene, opens it, and then you see that that's just, that's just where he started. That wasn't how he finished. He's then severed her head off um, and chopped off other body parts and left them in the room. And it's just, you might not get many killings, but the, the sequences where there is violence in this movie, it's, it's like amped up to 11 um, and that's another thing I quite like about the movie. It's it's just when you think you've kind of got an idea of what this killer is doing, you get a scenario which kind of breaks it. And then they tell you in the movie that, that these crimes have been happening for for several years as well in different states and all over, um, which I quite liked as well. Um, I mean, what, what did you make of the? Because the final, the, the final like. 25 minutes of this movie um, our character gets discovered by his wife um, and then he starts to well, he starts to really lose it he starts to throw out quite a lot of theories and then he puts this weird paint on his face and this movie yeah. becomes, a compl- <laughs> it becomes a completely different movie at that point well, what did you make of that? well that was one thing too is well first of all with the killer in this movie knowing nothing about this and not reading any spoilers, mm-hmm. one thing I didn't realize was that I thought there was going to, I mean, because they set it up as though there's going to be like a deep mystery about who the killer is, but <laughs> that that's just on the superficial level because when you find out that the killer's actually right in front of your face and then there's so much more deeper going on, that's, that's when the last 25 minutes kicks in and you're like, holy shit, this guy is a, he's a, he's a sociopath serial killer. I mean, they, they talked about, like you said, he'd been doing work in like three different states and there have been murder victims in those places. 
and uh and they've all been pretty similar in circumstance like and that's i really like that i thought that was it was kind of a cool thing going back to that that bathtub death or that mm-hmm. uh the, that drowning that that to me was my absolute favorite kill in this movie mm-hmm. and in, in fact i uh the whole time because this actually came out before faith no more is the real thing and uh, yes. i know and I know Mike Patton is a huge, huge fan of horror and um, movies like this, movies like Peeping Tom, like you mentioned, and and things like that. And the whole time he was, he had her in the bathtub. All I could think about was the original lyrics to "Underwater Love" by Faith No More, which uh, Mike Patton was never allowed to record him. Uh-huh. He uh, he actually uh, took him to the producer, and the producer said, "This is not going on any CD or any any record." Because uh, it was a, it was basically what was happening in the movie, you know, tying a woman up and holding her underwater, you know. Right. And, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, so which is funny because you hear music now and you can say whatever you want, but <laughs> yeah. back in 1989, they, Mike Patton was told that you cannot. But the original lyrics, if you could find them anywhere, I know I used to have an unauthorized uh, like Faith No More biography. And it had that the lyrics in it, the that hit like his actual handwritten lyrics. And uh, he had a lunch meeting with uh, I think it was like Andy Wallace, the producer. And yeah. he's like, uh, yeah, these lyrics, they're, they're not fucking happening. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's there's still a little bit of that in. I mean, I know I'm going off into a, a band, but there's still a little bit bit of that in that song. If you listen to the lyrics, it's like you know, looking down into the water. It's hard to make out your face. You know, bubbles coming up to the surface. Yeah, and and so he still left a little bit in there, but um, it was a lot more graphic back then, and uh, that's one thing I could see him getting from this movie being released two years prior. I see. There you go. Like, because I, I mean, there must have been people at the time that you know, especially if you were into horror, um, there must you know must people must have seen this movie, um, and I, I mean, the attachment to someone like Nick Mason doing the the soundtrack. I mean the the kind of massive appeal that a band like uh, Pink Floyd have. I would imagine people would have checked this out, you know, on, on that basis alone. Um, Absolutely, that, it wouldn't surprise me that that would kind of carry over um, and be, you know, potentially influence lyrics or or things like that as well. Because I mean, that's I mean that, that one of my loves, and I, I know you probably echo this sentiment. Um, and I know this is something we're going to get into quite a lot when we do our rim table discussion uh, coming up soon. But I mean, one of the reasons I really like Jalo movies are one, they, you know, they tend to be quite visually stunning movies, modern mystery movies. But at the same time, the, the killers always have some sort of quirky element about them, some some sort of um, modus operandi that that kind of goes with the killings, and um, they 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 tend to be quite violent. Um, and the way they're done and there's always that air of mystery about them and that's kind of where whilst I would never say that White of the Eye is a pure Jallo film because it's not those elements kind of carry through as well and into this movie which is uncommon because there, there aren't many movies like this that come out you know that came out at all ever in America and especially not when audiences are not getting that sort of movie they're getting the you know, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, they're getting the Friday the 13th, they're getting the Halloweens, you know, these sort of movies which are in a completely different ballpark from what this is doing. Um, and, and like I was saying, I'll go, going back to that end there, he puts, the, he puts the, the face paint on the bottom of his face, which at first I didn't understand. It's like a red bar he puts along from ear to ear underneath his nose. 
later on when we see those clips that flash back to whatever happened 10 years ago we see that the because his wife I, I suppose we should mention this his his current wife um originally met him while she was seeing someone else and they had a bit of friction and they had to basically it was all to do with music funnily enough and she put her cigarette out and he's uh, i think that was like a like a it's like an eight track or something. That yeah, that, 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 that was an old. It was it was weird for. I guess it, it makes sense for like nineteen seventy seven an eight track. Yeah, yeah. Well, she she puts a cigarette in that after an argument, and he for some reason I don't understand why pours juice from a can soda from a can on top of that for some reason as if that's gonna. I mean, all you do is you blow the cigarette ash out. You don't need to. So he ruins <laughs> his machine anyway, and they stop off, and this guy, our future husband, is working there. Um, and obviously they strike up a friendship but the, he takes the, the boyfriend out on a hunting trip and they kill a, it's like a deer but when they get it back we get one of the final flashback sequences is that he starts mutilating the body he starts like ripping apart with, the, with his knife in his bare hands um, and I think at that point the boyfriend must realise that this man's crazy you know, what he's doing is crazy. He's, he's, he's absolutely insane. Um, but he at one point goes down and actually bites the animal. When he comes up, he has a similar red band across the bottom of his mouth, which I wasn't sure if this is just something he does, this is his alternative personality, or if it's one of these things that, you know, at the end the director said, you know, what we need to do is we need to make this killer, you know, lose it completely because he has... It's the top of his face is like white, the bottom of his face is red, but it has these two symbols, these kind of esoteric symbols, either side of his temples. And he has this argument with his wife, and basically what he says is that he, he talks about a conversation he's had with her where he discusses the black hole. Um, and he says, do you know, do you, do you remember that? And she's like, yeah, I remember that. And he goes on to say that basically that the black hole is women. It's basically like... a. It's like a woman's area. <laughs> it's their vagina, basically. <laughs> um, and it s- sucks all the good out of the world. Um, and all these housewives that he's begun to see are obviously in loveless marriages. And as a result of that, he feels that he's being called to kill them, which that just blew my mind at that point. I was like, well, you know, most killers, it's something like, especially in old school Jalo movies, it's the like if you look at Pieces for example, Pieces is a great example of um, a kid that's like grown up, kid that's probably not been mentally great when he grew up, but um, has obviously come across his his dad's porn, um, and you know this has somehow scarred him, uh, and in an act of violence he kills his mum and that's kind of stuck with him and all the rest. It's always these sort of things. In the case of this movie. It's a really quite highbrow explanation of why he is a killer. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's not like, oh, well, he's... Because they say earlier on in the movie, his dad was done for extortion um, and his mum couldn't handle him and got rid of him. So you think to yourself, right, maybe it's abandonment issues. But it's not. It's like he's genuinely insane. He believes the universe is talking to him and the universe is a woman. And that woman demands that all these other women be slaughtered and it's 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 just it's fucking bizarre that's what it is well i i got something you're totally right and and one thing i got from this movie and that's why like underneath the surface surface of the movie that's where 
it really got me thinking and reading reviews afterwards they a lot of people had different you know speculations and things uh-huh. but when when they arrive in that town 10 years earlier um the the lady and her boyfriend she's left with uh the main character's grandfather and yes. the two guys go out hunting and in that scene like the grandfather tells her he he gives her this like little it's it's like a coin and tells her this you know if you rub this coin it'll it'll um it give you like the the faith the faithfulness of a man or something like that or yeah. the loyalty of a man and you know at first she drops it and he panics he's like oh shit you dropped the fucking coin so yeah, yeah. She, she picks it up and she's like you know it's fine and she goes i don't need it to don't need to rub it anyway but as they're walking off she starts rubbing it which to me her character in this movie, there was always something malicious about her. And I know, I mean, it's, it almost, you know, a, after the movie's over, it almost sounds, seems like you're victim blaming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because cause, cause she was the victim at the end. But the, but the thing is, is she, you know, it starts off when she's in the van and she is being a complete bitch to her boyfriend who he's kind of a dick too. So, but yeah. But when they pull over and she, she says some things, she said like when he's, when, uh, the the main guy is fixing the radio. It, she says something that he kind of it kind of catches his eye, and he and he questions it, but she never repeats it. And so me to me it was like I almost wonder if whenever she rubbed that coin, or if when she dropped it, if there was something supernatural there that kind of shattered his his mentality. Because maybe that's the point oh. when he was hunting that he fucking snapped and started doing all that crazy shit. Because I up until that, thought of that, yeah, yeah. Because up until that point, he seemed fairly normal, even in the hunting, you know, area. And then all of a sudden, he starts snapping deer heads and like chomping on their ball sack. And I mean, <laughs> it's it's like to me, it's it, I don't know. There was a lot of symbolism and weird things. And she, she and there's mention later in the movie of his grandfather and and uh, how when he died, something else was lost. And and to me, there was with be with it being Native American, you know heavily influenced i thought maybe there was a lot of that supernatural spiritual kind of belief in there that you know things that they hold dear and and especially with the red paint at the bottom of his face like you mentioned and and with the Mm. with the deer and the blood in the same kind of uh same kind of pattern yeah to me that that was almost like tribal paint like war paint like yeah and that's that's i don't know that was for me that was something that at the end of the movie, I sat there and I, because it's a, it's almost a two hour movie, and when it was over, I thought about everything I had just seen because when you watch it and you're like, well, okay, obviously this guy is nuts and he's killing these women, and and then her ex shows up and you know he's there to the rescue. But did you notice? I think the ex was just as mentally. I think maybe it was because both guys loved her that yeah. when she dropped that when she dropped that coin or something. I don't know if it's it shattered both their mentalities. Well, it says she says something about him being locked in prison or something. The the, the other boyfriend, but he has a scar on his head, yeah. which he didn't have. I thought they would explain it because originally, when you see the the final flashback, he takes a knife which is covered in blood, and he kind of puts it on his. You know, he starts wiping the blood on his face, and he says, "You know, what am I going to do with you?" And I thought at first that potentially what it might be is it might be something along the lines of, you know, that he cut the side of his head or something. But you don't know, and the, the, the guy seems unstable, like when we meet him 10 years in the future. And I think that's, I think that's the thing as well, because at the climax of the movie, what you have is you have our killer who's wearing a bomb vest, which, which 
<laughs> yeah, look, look to me. I'm sorry. I, I've got like my mind like started like cracking up because it looked like he basically had like a series of hot dogs. That's what they up. did. Well, well, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't doesn't the daughter Danielle? Doesn't she say it's hot dogs? That's right. Yeah. So like, I'm like, I'm glad I'm not the only one that you know is thinking that. Uh, but I don't know what that says. That you know, maybe I think like a child. I don't know. Uh, but he has he has this vest on, and um, they they go outside into the quarry, and uh, the the ex starts shooting with this fucking huge gun. It's like it's like something you would have seen from Predator. Um, and he starts he starts shooting at his kneecaps, and for whatever reason, his his wife starts freaking out and she's like oh no no you, you can't do that you know uh, you bleed to death and all the rest so and he's been tormenting her she now knows that he's a serial killer he, she now knows that he wants to kill her and their daughter yeah he was shooting that, at the daughter and killed their dog instead yeah he's like he's he's gone he's past the point you know but she somehow wants to stop the other guy from killing him um and then she genuinely at one point when the two of them are having their altercation in the the kind of enclosed area, uh, she says that you know I really know how to pick them and um, like from that point like the the two guys like it's almost as if she's passing that off as like she's completely innocent in this. I mean to an extent we probably can look at it that she is innocent, um, but ultimately the the final altercation you know between the two of them results in the guy setting the fuse and grabbing the boyfriend who the ex-boyfriend who then unleashes a gun in his face and there's this massive satisfying explosion that you don't usually get in movies um and it, it just you know i always it always confused me as to why these two characters like just seem to because when we, like you say when we first meet them both of them seem fairly well adjusted um and this coin theory which you've got i i mean that that something i'd never even thought of before but when you when you put it out that way, you know that you know maybe by dropping this coin and the fact that the 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 grandfather overreacts like he does, because to me she's just dropped a coin. I mean, what's the big deal in that? Maybe there is something about that. Maybe you know they're saying this old English penny. If you you rub it, then you you know your your future husband or whatever will always be faithful. Maybe there's something on the the twist of that that you know if if the coins ruined or dropped or whatever, there's some. There's some backlash to that, which would kind of make sense when you see the dramatic change in both the characters. So I, I hadn't even thought of that before, Johnny. And, and and even going further, I mean, like two sides to a coin. I mean, maybe that represents both guys. You know, she dropped the coin and then she rubbed it. So now there's two guys pining for her affection and then they both have snapped. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, like, it's it's just to me that, that, made, that made the movie even more interesting is that um, because if you go all the way back, this movie is very music driven i mean even past the sound like the uh, the score i mean there's music all over this and, and in fact they must have spent a ton of money on licensing rights yeah because it's songs that i knew like every song they played i knew and uh even one one little piece of trivia is uh, in the background i had to pause it for a second because inside their home they had a record collection uh-huh. and right there in the front of the fucking record collection is one of my favorite albums danny elfman's solo Really? I didn't notice that. Just sitting there, and I'm like, oh, on vinyl, that is just beautiful. Back when it came <laughs> out. I mean, th- it's it's basically an Oingo Boingo album that they did whenever there were some legal issues. Uh-huh. But it's, it's a great album. But um, but but the thing is, when the movie first starts, and she she re- she's complaining about the music, that, you know, and that's making her boyfriend happy. And he's not in a bad mood or anything. And he's, he's kind of grooving along, and uh, 
she's bitching about the music and then all of a sudden she uh she complains and then she starts smoking and then he, he he's you know upset about the smoking and in which at that point she puts it out on his eight track and, yeah that's uh, oh god i know <laughs> so so to me like i mean like you said i mean she definitely was a victim but at the same time it's like she she had these like little quirks about her that made her made you kind of not like her yeah like there yeah. were I, I didn't i never got on board with her character i mean fully yeah i mean there's there's that th- i mean there there's that thing as well to an extent that she at some point she suspects that her husband might be up to no good so she follows well she tries to track him down and she eventually ends out at the the house of this woman we see earlier on who he's kind of having an affair with and she she finds his van parked further down and um she once she sees the van she takes that pair of scissors and she basically bursts the tire of the van. Now later on the husband then gets he gets picked up by the police. Now she knows at that point that there's a reason her husband was away for that period of time because she bursts the tire. And she doesn't say anything. She basically lets him get questioned in the room until the last second and then she comes in to give an alibi. And there's something quite nasty about that, even if she exactly, woman, uh, even if she is a woman scorned, even if she suspects her husband is having an affair, she lets her husband be heavily interrogated by the police on counts of multiple murder <laughs> before she <laughs> finally steps in to say, "I know that you were sleeping with her. It was me that burst your tire," um, giving them the alibi, which ultimately sets them free. Um, and that, to me, yeah, it's like you say that that. In itself was quite reprehensible, even if it's done as a revenge to the fact that she thinks her husband's having an affair. That to me always seemed like quite an extreme thing to do. Um, what's like you say, you don't, you're not really given much opportunity to to like her as a character. I mean, even the way she deals with her daughter earlier on in the movie, where she asks her daughter what what happened at school. Oh, I was just about to bring that up. I'm glad you're. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the daughter says that she. You know, the, something happened at school, and she ultimately she punched someone in the back of the head, and she <laughs> says that's that, that's a very antisocial thing to do, and she says, "What does antisocial mean?" And her daughter's rolling out cookies, and she's got this star that she's making cookies, and and it's star shapes, a star cutter, and um, the mother says to her, uh, "Well, social is what we are doing just now. We're making cookies, we're talking, we're having fun." And then she grabs the cookie cutter off her and just messes up absolutely everything the daughter's done just by bashing it and she says, and that's antisocial. And I'm like, she's just a little girl for fuck's sake. She does, <laughs> and she does it like a complete psychopath. Yeah, like, it's she, like... <laughs> she's like stabbing it with this cookie cutter. <laughs> right in front of your daughter, you know, this is what antisocial is. It's ruined cookies. Um, and I, I was looking at that and I was just like, that's a really fucking extreme thing to do to teach a child right and wrong. You know, it seemed a bit... It seemed a bit OTT. Once again, that's one of the early sequence. In fact, it's one of the probably the opening sequence where we actually meet her. And instantly from that, I'm just like, I don't really like you at all. <laughs> and and I think that's that's. I'm trying to remember how the movie ends after the explosion. Does it just go to credits? No, after the explosion, they end up. Uh, she speaks to the police officer in the diner. Oh, okay, yeah, and and see, and then at the very end, he it made it seem like there was some kind of attraction between them two now. Yeah, because she takes the coin out and she it's... spins the co- spins the coin around because she, she starts speaking to him, and when she's speaking to him, um, 
you know, the, the something about she wants to make a move to Malibu um, and all the rest, you know, after this, and he says something about uh, to wherever your heart takes you or something along those lines. And now that you've mentioned that with a coin... You just reminded me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and now I'm thinking to myself that... She's the, the blame, guy, dude. Yeah, I think she is now. I'm thinking that... Because when, when, our, when our killer starts talking about women as being you know, destructive, ultimately destructive, and that's why he's killing the most destructive ones, uh, the ones that he's getting a message about, uh, basically, once again, this allegory of the, the, the black hole, maybe, on some level, maybe it is to do with his wife. I never even thought of that. I, I'm really now, I mean, because I, I didn't remember the ending, but when you just said it, and I remember the look they give each other and her with that coin at that diner. It it makes me think that it maybe maybe she's not doing it intentionally. Well, I think yeah. she is. I think she is. But, uh, <laughs> but 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 maybe it's like even like her her uh, internal motivations. You know, like her you know uh, you know you know her maniacal side or something. Yeah. Because it's like every guy she came in contact with potentially became <laughs> destructive. Yeah, and they weren't that way before. I mean, I mean, from what you from what they show you, I mean, every time they show you the main guy in this movie, he seems pretty on the level. And even her, like I said, even her boyfriend when you first meet him, he's he's kind of a dick bag later, but he doesn't seem like it's all everything happens after that coin. Mm-hmm. And and, yeah. and that's that to me is like that's I don't know I I really like that theory. That makes me actually really like the movie a lot more. Yeah, yeah, I, well, that's that's given me a whole new level of of something. And even I'll be honest with you, even if you know someone was to tell me that's not the case and give me a valid reason, I quite like that reason now. I think I'm just going to stick with that. <laughs> did you did you recognize the uh, the cop in this, the one at the diner at the end? Yeah, yeah, the, the, he's um, it's Die Hard Two, isn't it? Yeah, he was in there. He's also in a uh, Fright Night. He was the cop in Fright Night. Fuck, so he is. Oh my god. Yeah, as soon as I saw him, I was like, Fright Night! <laughs> He's the cop that comes over whenever uh, Jerry Dandridge calls... Or not Jerry Dandridge. Um, when... Uh, I can't even think of his name now. The the kid calls him over to yeah. check on him. On the missing girl. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this, this movie had a lot of people in it. I mean, it, it seems like the budget was there. From what I could tell, everything I read said that it, it didn't do too poorly in the U.S. as far as, like, uh, box office goes. It just uh-huh. had really piss-poor reviews. Yeah, yeah. Which once again, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily surprise me because if you think of what is what was going on at that time in terms of kind of horror cinema and things like that, this one does almost feel like it's a throwback to like a decade before. It kind of feels like the sort of film you would have been watching like late seventies, early eighties, um, instead of towards the late half of the eighties. Um, you know, where horror was generally kind of starting to its inevitable wind down. To, to the what we got in the first half of the nineties, so I mean it, it does feel like a very sober, very serious movie. I mean, if you look at the the franchises, the big horror franchises that are putting out films in eighty seven, uh, most of them have a particular quirky sense of humor. Oh, they a lot of them have gone complete comedy. <laughs> yeah, and this movie has none of that at all. This movie is the, like we say there is a, a level of, I mean this the guy that directed it Donald Camell was from Scotland originally he was born in Scotland and um, he made a lot of his money originally being a, like a, a, a portrait artist 
So that's that's where his background came from, and through that he met people like Mick Jagger, and he would ultimately go on and do a movie called I think it was called Performance. Uh, from oh yeah, seventies. Well, he was one of the co-directors of that, and he did it with uh, is it Nicholas Roche, the director. Is that how you pronounce his name? Roche? I'm not sure. I had, I had it pulled up. Or yeah, let me see. I think it's I think it's Nicholas Roche, and he is more he's more famously known for doing movies like Don't Look Now. Um, oh okay. yeah, that is yeah that's him. Yeah, yeah Nicholas Roche. So the, the two of them directed that movie together, and obviously Nicholas Roche did uh, Don't Look Now. He also did Is It the Last Man on Earth with David Bowie, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he did those movies which were fucking huge successes, and Donald Camell never really hit those heights again. To be honest with you. Um, until he released White of the Eye, which I think might have been his last movie. Um, he maybe made one after that. I didn't realize. Movie. I didn't realize Nicholas Rose did uh, The Witches in 1990. That's that was a yeah. great movie. Oh, it's a fucking brilliant movie. But then again, your source materials excellent. Roll Dallas. Oh. oh yeah, and yeah, that that movie's all, that movie doesn't. I'm surprised people. That's one of those ones that you don't hear often, but when people. Do talk about it? They they talk about it really highly, but then it just gets like when you talk about kid horror. Not a lot of people are going, oh, the witches. They're going, oh, gremlins and critters, and you know the kind of you know, the monster squad. The, the focus on that, and I went, the witches is there. That was like a staple in my house. That was that was legitimately scary too, in parts. Oh, when she when she takes uh, what's her face? What's the name of the actress again? Angelica Angelica Houston. Yeah, when she takes her face off. Yeah, I know. And she's the my god. That's one of the creepiest things that you can see when you're a kid. Um, but yeah, so so I mean, like he he had obviously a big career. Donald Camell didn't really, and point the eye like you were saying, maybe didn't do necessarily all that well monetary wise, but didn't do well critically. It got panned. Um, Which the, and... they say this is one of the ultimate sleeper films from what I was reading is because a lot of films are called that movies that, you know, they just didn't do very well. And all of a sudden they gained this huge cult following. And yeah, and uh, they say this one, like, especially um, in Europe and stuff, this movie has actually been really successful, you know, among you know cult fans and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those ones that I know that when... Because it seemed like a strange... Because, like I said, I'd never heard of it until recently. And um, Arrow put it out, and Arrow made quite a big thing about the campaign for it, and I believe the sales of that went really well. Um, so there's obviously people out there that are wanting that. They're fulfilling that market by putting it out. But, um, yeah, it's just... It's a really interesting... I, I would never go as far as is to say this is an amazing movie. It's not an amazing movie, but I think there's, like we've just said, just speaking for the 45 minutes we've been speaking, there's a lot to mine out of this. There's, you know, you, you and in the space of talking about this, we've talked about three potential theories, one which I think, which you've said, Johnny, which I, I, I would more cling to now about the movie, but the, there's a really interesting, weird soundtrack going on here. There's, you know... um is visually really really pretty to look at. There's there's levels of Argento in here when when you see the color of blood, especially in that opening sequence. Um, there's surrealism here. There's there's a lot going on, and and whilst maybe it doesn't all cohesively gel into one finalized package, it's it's an interesting talking point as a movie, um, and that's why I, I was quite glad. Like when you said you would watch it, you come in and talk because I knew that you know this wasn't going to be like a well, you know this happens, this happens. So what did you think of the movie? Oh, it's <laughs> all right, let's move on. 
the, the you know there's there's several ways you can look at several different scenes and I, oh there are layers I, lots of layers yeah I, I dig that I dig that I think um, it, it kind of harks back to a time that we don't necessarily have anymore and I can see maybe why we don't have that anymore but it's good to look back on it and remember you know a, a particular time where where horror movies came out and they weren't just all about the the blood they were about the, the kind of set up and the, the building up of tension towards the, the final kill you know or even like spending time through the killer's POV as someone's getting ready and you know the, you know the killer's in the house but they don't and I, I quite dig that I quite dig that so um, what we'll do is we'll rate this Johnny we're doing Netflix ratings so it's um, one's hated it two didn't like it three liked it four really liked it and five loved it and I know this is a difficult one to to kind of to kind of put in there, so I will accept point fives as well. What would you rate this movie? I'm gonna do a three point five because although it really stimulate uh, like stimulates your brain and your train of thought, and I think it is it, it's really to me it's it's fairly original and stuff. Um, it's it's definitely it's kind of long, which I mean that to me that still didn't bother me at all. I mean I it still mm-hmm. was I enjoyed the whole thing, um, but this is the kind of movie that you have to be in the right mindset for because um, you're not, this isn't like stage fright. Like we talked about before where (laughs) you're, you're not going to have a lot of fun with this movie, but you will be, you will be entertained. Yeah. And so I think 3.5 is where I'll go with that. I think I'm going to join you. Um, I think, I think the first time I saw it, I think it was maybe around the levels of a two, 2.5. I didn't quite like it, but um, it wasn't, I hated it. I, I was kind of in between, didn't like it and liked it. Um, and obviously I've seen it twice since then. The second time I watched it, I dug it a lot more. Uh, I would definitely say it was a like it movie. Um, on this watch now and talking about it the way we've been talking about it, it's almost a really liked it. It's kind of it's kind of fringing on that at the moment. So three point five feels justified. Who knows if I watch this movie six months from now, I could be going a four on this movie. I don't know. <laughs> it seems to go up a point five every time I watch it. But I think three point five is fair. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this movie before we wrap up this review? Well, one thing you made a, an interesting comment earlier was that um, that you weren't you know this was very odd for an American sort of giallo to be made. Yeah, and uh, you had movies that were kind of along the same lines, like uh, Brian De Palma's Dressed to Kill and stuff, but not not yep. not so much the same. But one thing that's funny is it's it seems like more of like uh, Spanish and Italian directors, and, and um, a lot of directors who used to do things like you know they tried to do giallo films and stuff like that, or, or they you know were like some of the godfathers of giallo films. Mm-hmm. They at this time. And in '87, mid mid to late '80s, they were doing a lot. They were trying to go the American way of the slasher film. Mm-hmm. So it's even more curious that this person would choose to do an American style, almost thriller giallo style thing. Yeah, like, and I thought when like when you said that, and I started thinking, '87 is a very odd year for this movie to to come out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it always kind of. Because that's, I think that's the thing. I mean, there was so many horror movies came out in the nineteen eighties. Like nineteen eighties is just like it's a ridiculous amount. And <laughs> when I think about them, even even films like uh, like Tenebrae and things like that are on the earlier side of the eighties. They're not late eighties. Um, so, and I mean, on some level, there's a bit of Tenebrae in this. And I I wonder if maybe Donald Camell had seen those movies and just wanted to put his own stamp, try and make it like a slightly more artistic level 
of those movies, and while it doesn't necessarily overall completely succeed, it's 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 interesting for a director who never before and never a- after touched horror. This is his only movie which which had elements of like extreme violence and killing and things like that in it. He didn't really do it in any of his other works. He, you could argue maybe Demon Seed to an extent, but I, I don't necessarily think. It wasn't really graphic or anything. Yeah, yeah, not 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 on this level. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of these fascinating ones that um, if if you get the opportunity, people out there uh, to to check out this movie, I dare say you can source it from somewhere. I would be surprised if it isn't actually in, up on its entirety on YouTube because everything's up on YouTube now. <laughs> um, that I, I would probably recommend you go out and check and. If you enjoy it, if you didn't enjoy it, you should come back and leave us some comments on the Facebook page and let us know what you thought. Um, well, thank you very much, Johnny, for, for taking up a bit of time to, to sit down with me and uh, and chat about this movie because, uh, like I say, no one else I know has seen it. Um, I, I, I didn't really know if I sent it to anyone else what they would make of it. And to be well, honest with you, if ever I was going to talk about someone about these sort of movies, it would be you. Well, thanks. The thing with me is I'm... I'm I'm, I was super stoked to be watching something along these lines that I've never even heard of in the slightest. Yeah. Because, I mean, I do, I mean, I, for my show, I do some kind of obscure movies sometimes, and this one has never even come close to my radar. <laughs> so, that like, I got to thank you for that, just for uh, introducing me to something I never probably would have even stumbled across. Um, so, like, uh, just to quickly before we jump out, I mean, um, People should be checking out your show. We've talked about it before um, on, on the previous episode. Do you just want to tell us how people can check out Kruger Nation um, just before we, we finish your review? Uh, yeah, actually, it's KrugerNation.com. And uh, on iTunes, just type in Kruger Nation Horror Podcast, and it's on there. And uh, I'm actually, I, I've taken a little bit of a hiatus, but this week I'm on vacation, so I plan on coming back strong, putting out, I'm, I'm going to try to get every week now, so... Um, I want to get back into it pretty heavily. So if you want to reach me, I'm Johnny Krug at uh, Johnny Krug on Facebook and at Johnny Krug on Twitter. So and Johnny Krug at gmail.com. Excellent. Excellent. So people should be checking that out. And I look forward to hearing your new episode when it drops, my friend. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad to get back into it because everybody I know is so busy doing podcasts and I'm just I, I get so caught up doing other things i'm like i want to get back into it <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling when you haven't done one for I, I feel kind of strange if a week goes by and i haven't you know sat down with a microphone and even just pretended to be recording a podcast so um, <laughs> you, you do you do so much though like you're always on you're always yeah. on podcasts yes it's, it's it's kind of busy i think i think um i think was the, the plan is um I'm changing the format the show the show slightly just after the one year anniversary so start November, um, and when that happens it's going to be more focused and apart from the roundtable things as well I'm going to try and pull back a bit so I have a bit of breathing room to do other things so but who knows I keep saying that and then I end up on another <laughs> show so uh, thank you very much Johnny for coming on my friend and, thanks for having um, me on no it's it's been it's been really good and. Uh, Thanks for taking part in the one-year anniversary. Um, hey, yeah, yeah, con- con- congratulations, man. Oh, thanks, thank you. One year, fucking hell. Uh, oh dear, um, it's all downhill. It's all downhill from there. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to take a very short break just now. When I return, there's going to be more action on this jam-packed one-year anniversary show. Um, thank you to Johnny Krug. Do you want to say goodbye to the listeners? Hey, peace.
Yeah, and uh, I'll speak to you right after this. Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda new. Not, it's Al-Qaeda new, not Al-Qaeda new. Al-Qaeda new. Apparently that's Scottish for happy birthday, isn't it? Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, Duncan. Or as Skylar would say, happy birthday. You're going to do your Mr. President bit? No, no fucking way. No fucking way. Um, yeah, happy anniversary, mate. Um, one year of podcasting with the stairs. What an achievement. I'm yeah. hoping we can last long enough to get to a year. Yeah. That'd be great. You sound an absolute professional to say that you've only been doing it for a year. Yeah, well, even episode one sounds awesome, Duncan. When you go back to episode one, you think, he's done this before. He'll be like, hey, he's your uh, song face. <laughs> he'll be going, oh, <laughs> oh shucks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we just wanted to basically give you just a brief congratulations. Andy's obviously listened to all of it. I'm uh, kind yeah. of picking it up in pieces now. I did the back catalogue in it. about four weeks, which is annoying because now I'm kind of, I ain't got any left. I'm just having to wait. Yeah. But that mean that but, gives me opportunity to go through everyone else's back catalogue, which is great. Anyway. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Just so we don't obviously take up loads of time on a birthday message. You had a message for Baz. Oh yeah, I've got a message for Baz. I'm gonna play it to you now. Okay, cheers. Bye. 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 And courage needed for paranormal activity still inside. Now time let out. And welcome back. So uh, thank you very much for that fantastic message there. Uh, a, a lovely message from our good friends Andy and Rachel. Uh, um, big trouble and little podcast. Um, those guys are awesome. And and in particular, a message directed directly to the bars. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, I'd like. I just like to thank uh, Rachel and Andy over there at Big Horror and Little Podcast. Oh fuck! I said Big Trouble again, didn't I? Did you? Ah, oh, did. Oh for fuck's sake! I feel like an arsehole. You're a buffoon, man. A fucking <laughs> buffoon. And the best bit is, you're actually the only one out of the two of us that's ever seen that fucking film. You've never seen Big Trouble in Little China. No, I told you this ages ago, and you see. Get off my me. show. Get off my I know, show. I know it's, it's one of the many things that you hate about me, Duncan. Um, yeah, no, I've never seen it. I did tell you about this before, and you just about spat in my face. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm wanting to spit in your face right now, but you're too far away. <laughs> how, how can you go through life not see? How can you go through life not seeing possibly one of the greatest movies of the 1980s? In, in fact, nay, one of the greatest movies ever. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't, but I'm going to pull you up right there. It's not one of the greatest films of the 1980s because The Karate Kid is one of the greatest films of the 1980s. Oh, yeah, and speaking Tying of... Tying in nicely there <laughs> to my little message. Again, thanks to Rachel and Andy for that. Um, I, I particularly like the Ralph Macchio uh, you know, analogy there because I am as hairless as he is. Uh, with, you know how he's got that weird fucking aging disease? <laughs> non-aging disease thing that he fucking gets stuck in me. I like to model myself on him, but the weird thing is I age really badly. I'm in like my 40s now, so I'm just like this bald old guy. <laughs> you know, like completely fucking hairless, but all wrinkled and sagging. Oh, dear. Yeah. There's a wee image to carry about, folks. <laughs> yeah, like a, like a nut sack in a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Oh dear. Yeah, but that was awesome. I did, I did love that wee message. Nice and uh, will you be will you be taking that pep talk on when you tackle paranormal activity? Always. I'm going to wax on and I'm going to wax off. <laughs> my, my, my body here. 
<laughs> your body hair. <laughs> uh, this show's been brilliant so far. Um, it's been... I tell you what, it's been overwhelming that so many well wishes have poured out from not only like podcasters, but because um, I, I like to think I get on quite well with my my fellow podcasting fraternity brothers. You're an affable, um, you're an affable big guy, don't. Well, that's what I like to think, but I don't say that. You know what I mean? Because I, I'm also I'm also incredibly modest, Baz. You're humble. I'm a humble man. I, I like to eat humble pie. With custard, that explains I'm, uh, my weight. I'm just fucking stunned so many people listen to this shit, to be quite honest, do you know what I mean? The, the numbers keep going up and <laughs> keep going up, and, and it, it really legitimately blows my mind. I was I, I was doing a bit of, I was telling you about this last week, I was doing a bit of uh, research, uh, just kind of working out figures and all the rest, and obviously... Um, I host two podcasts and t- not host as in like run them but host as in on my server um, yeah. I host two podcasts one for Rock and Real Reviews and one for the podcast Under the Stairs both have um, both numbered shows are up to about number 34 at the moment um, however Podcast Under the Stairs has put out about seven bonus episodes two Halloween specials um, and I think one interview which was classed as a separate um, episode as well. So uh, in total, maybe about 40 episodes of the podcast Under the Stairs actually exist, maybe 42, 43 maybe. Um, And I was doing the sums, working through my figures and all the rest um, and that means that um, when I worked out the downloads alone, um, it's over 5,500 downloads for podcasts Under the Stairs alone. Um, in a year, which fucking was my fucking mind, honestly. Yep, and it's close to it's close to two thousand plays on YouTube. Uh, oh, sorry, on SoundCloud. So that's two thousand. So that's roughly seven thousand, like episodes, like of my episodes have been played, which yep. is just fucking mental. I don't know what you guys are doing out there. I know, man. Get a fucking hobby, people. Yeah, why are you listening? <laughs> why are you listening to us? Um, so it's, I mean, it's it's great because, um, I mean, the the show was the show was on the go for a a wee while, maybe about two months before you came on board. Yeah. Um, with your suggestion for Baz v Horror, and yeah. it's it's crazy to think that you know in the next two months we're going to be celebrating that one year anniversary. Yeah, totally. I mean, all all joking aside. Uh, it's amazing that so many people are listening to it. Um, to be quite honest, I, I do this for fun, do you know what I mean? It's like a learning process for me. You mm-hmm. do it for the love of it, do you know what I mean? To be honest, yeah, yeah. we would fucking do it if it was just us two that were listening to this shit, do you know what I mean? Well, that's, yeah, that's how it started, man. To think that there are so many people that are actually listening. And most folks seem to enjoy it, do you know what I mean? We seem to get a lot of good feedback on the Facebook page and that. and mm-hmm. It's just Facebook awesome, man. Facebook pages, really. I mean, there was, there was a couple of things. So, I, I mean, like you say, I, I, and I've already kind of said on this podcast already, I started this show purely as an excuse for myself and my former co-host, Graham, to to chat about horror movies yeah. um, more than we already did because we were always chatting about horror movies and um, I was listening to some horror podcasts I, I've said before on this show Skeleton Crew Devour the Podcast and the very first show I ever heard which was Gillen Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast that pretty much gave me an idea of well these guys are putting out really cool content I wonder if I could do the same thing and I mean that was that was all I ever aimed for was I want to put out a show that you know, I, I can sit down and I could listen to it if I wasn't 
you know, recording it, you know, just yeah. something that, as a listener, I could sit down and, and at the start, I mean, if you go right back to the very beginning, which was not some of the best, um, you go back to, the, like, right at the very, very start when we did Child's Child, play. I was going to say, the Child's Play retrospective that you did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was all very, I mean, we were all very serious and, you know, hum hard. well, as serious as you can be with Graham, yeah. um, <laughs> which is... I, I was the, I was a straight man there, and Graham was a noise, nonsense maker. But um, to to see to go from that to just the variety of different shows we have done, and um, then like I say, the inclusion of Baz v Horror, which um, was something that I, I thought you know we'll, we'll see how long Baz keeps interested in this before he he decides you know oh, this horror's no no for me, and you know and that's just <laughs> my mother kept... was right, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's just kept going, and. Um, I started the Facebook page as a way to obviously post the shows. I never at any point thought that we would be sitting about 120 members on the page now. And the guys all interact brilliantly and there's news stories. It's like its own community now. People are posting news stories, replying to the news stories. We get some really good feedback. Even if it's for people to come around and say, I think you're wrong with that one. No one's being malicious about it. People are just like, actually, you didn't like that part. That's like my favourite part of this movie. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's all just been really, really cool. And I am incredibly incredibly thankful for it all i've got a couple of quick messages i'm going to be doing more of these as the show goes on but a couple of quick messages from the facebook page um one from our, our homeboy tristan gnarly martin who posted a rather fetching highlander picture of me this week <laughs> yeah the that guys... was awesome i loved that <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's the fact that did they not have cory feldman in the background though cory feldman in the background oh my yeah, god i oh, managed to fit feldman in everywhere um <laughs> so he he asked a question which you'll be asking later on but um his main message was congratulations on your anniversary keep it gnarly and let the good times roll thank you very much tristan you're a fucking mad bastard um <laughs> jason lloyd uh, the the founder and owner of horophilia and uh, currently the host of my bloody podcast um he also asked a question but i've taken that out and his comment was that he basically said, um, damn, he's on vacation if he'd known he would have recorded something for the show, but happy motherfucking anniversary. So thank you very much to Jason. Um, the very first show I heard, Gil and Roscoe's Bedation Horror Podcast, was on Horophilia. Um, and they've just started back over on Horophilia now, so it's like, uh, it's weird. It's like, come full circle there. Um, so yeah, so it's been, I mean, Baz, you've been on, you've obviously done Baz V Horror, but yep. you've had an opportunity to come on and do some kind of standalone content as well. Yeah, it's been really interesting um, in, in getting to talk to, to some of the guests um, that we've had on as well. Now, some of them were on for Baz V Horror. It was great talking to Gil. Uh, me and Gil have a lot of banter on the internet and Facebook and stuff like that. But um, he came on for one of the Baz V Horrors and that, that was great chat. But I mean, I've been on with Jamie Jenkins, a lot of other folk. Um, and they all Bo as well, yeah, Bo yeah. for the battery review. That's right, Um and they all kind of treat me with kid gloves because they know I'm the total novice and all this. But yeah, I mean, some of the, aside for the Baz V Horror stuff, um, which has been my primary focus, but as I've discussed as we've been going on, I've been watching a lot of horror mm. uh, in relative terms, you know, a lot of horror for me um, over the past year, you know, and it's been so increasing exponential as we've gone along. But some of the films that we did out with Baz V Horror were really interesting. It was not necessarily out and out horror films, but things like Big Bad Wolves mm -hmm. um, that we did. Uh, the Battery, I mean, I know The Battery's a zombie movie, but um, 
it's just a brilliant fucking film. It's not a particularly scary film. Yeah. Um, still one of my, old, my favourites that actually really right up there. I don't often get that psyched about films, but I talk about that film all the fucking time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think, to my knowledge, I think it's the only movie I've ever pre-ordered on the internet. <laughs> I, do, I do that quite a lot with albums and stuff that are great, yeah. but I never fucking pre-order films. But I had that one pre-ordered as soon as I found out it was getting a UK release date, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, what were some of the other ones that we watched that you've were done, horror? Yeah, you've done um, Cheap Thrills. <laughs> and I, I actually dragged my wife into that when we watched that together. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, that was another weird-ass film, man. But cool, a really cool film kind of thing. But um, um, The Borderlands cheap. as well, dude. Oh, God, yeah, Borderlands. Oh, that was fucking scary, <laughs> wasn't it? That was a scary movie. See, guys, fucking Baz V. Horror. There's films like that you should be showing me. I was shitting myself at that movie. Um, but again, a great part. And what I loved about that was the guy from Absolutely was on it. Yes. Um, which any Scottish listeners will know what we're talking about. I think I mentioned it at the time, eh, the, the comedian guy, although he played a very straight role in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of that stuff. And I know we've got lots of great stuff coming up as well. I know you and I, we have a wee cinema expedition fairly soon. Oh, yes. Um, um, as Above, So Below um, yeah. at the end of the month. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and with the exception of my... Um, my aborted Blair Witch attempt. I think that'll be the first time I've ever gone to see a horror movie at the cinema. Really? To my knowledge, possibly. I may have seen one of the Saw ones, but I'm not sure. But yeah, I never ever go to this. So you may find yourself holding my hand at some point. As long as it's just your hand. Well, uh, <laughs> you've not seen my patented hole in the bottom of the fucking popcorn bucket yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, you're in for a good time, my friend. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that, and no doubt we'll come back and we'll talk about that. Yes, it's things like that, you know, um, we've got the whole fucking Halloween extravaganza slash apocalypse coming up as well. Five Uh, weeks. Yeah, five weeks of pure torment. (laughs) Uh, But I'm really looking forward, I know we've got the special episode with the Grave Encounters coming up with Mm. Big big Dave Buchanan from Rock and Reel Reviews. Yes. Um, And I think that'll be a lot of fun, um, because when the three of us get together, the the shit doth flow. Yes, um, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. can only imagine what it's going to be like when I'm literally sat there caked in my own shit and you pair are laughing <laughs> hysterically at me. You know what I mean? So yeah, I I mean I I've absolutely loved getting involved with the show. Um I probably get involved a lot more than I think I thought I was going to. I think so um, as well, but I don't I I said to you earlier on, you have a fan club, sir. <laughs> there is there is a Baz fan club. New members that come across now the majority of them, when they come onto the page, one of the first things they write um, is how much they enjoy Basby Horror. Just like um, Joshua Lee Hodges did. Um, actually, today, the day of this recording, right. um, he wrote that he has just recently started listening to the show on Stitcher. Uh, and he's amazed. Um, between our show and Devour the Podcast, they are both his favourites. Baz v Horror is the shit, and we have to keep up the great show, you sexy Scottish bitches. Oh, Joshua, you silver-tongued devil, you. Thank you kindly, my friend. Thank you kindly. Yeah, he was also, um, well, well, another sorry, one before you jump ahead here, uh, Jason Harnell also wrote thanks for the ad. He's loving the show and absolutely loves Baz V Horror. Can't wait for his endurance test of the Paranormal series. Keep up the great work and thanks again. Uh, well, you're the only one looking forward to that, Jason, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, I, I just, 
I'm glad that people are enjoying it kind of as much as I do. Um, it was quite interesting actually. I've, I've seen some feedback on the um, on the Facebook page after our last one, which was oh, the yes. god awful fucking Serbian film, and. Mm-hmm. My main concern after we did that was that there wasn't much humour in that. You and I weren't really laughing an awful lot during that. I, yeah, yeah. I think I think we yeah I think we probably could have laughed, um, but I think it would never have happened on you know in that first week of recording. I think now if we talk about it, we could probably be a bit yeah. more humorous about it. But to, to put people in the picture, we recorded. I think it was the day after we watched it. Yeah, it was. And, yeah, it was pretty much still raw, and it was the second time I watched it. And I was just pissed off that I'd had to watch it again. Yeah. To be to be honest, and I've went on a wee internet uh, internet rant on various different shows since then, and I, I mean I've kind of calmed down a bit, and I can appreciate the movie for what it does right. Um, but to me, there's that scale is so heavily weighed on the other side as to what it does wrong that you know I still I'll never go back to that movie. I, yeah. I think I think I got everything. I needed to get out of it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, and I had to stress on the last show, on episode 34, when I was doing it with my good friend Danny Trioxon, I had to stress that um, some people were concerned for you, Baz, and I had to put a disclaimer out during that show that no Bazies were hot <laughs> during the recording of that episode. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say, actually, because I, some of the feedback that was coming back was... I was a bit worried folk were going to think it was a bit dry, maybe a bit kind of boring, but folk seemed to genuinely feel the kind of tension you know, when you and I were talking about it, the tension between us, the tension we yeah. experienced watching it, and, and that was pretty cool. You know, like, I don't need to be the performing comedy monkey the whole fucking time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean? I, I, yeah, occasionally you're going to get a movie where there's little to no humour in it. Yeah. Um, and those are the movies that are going to are going to bring that out. I mean, not every movie can be Videodrome with people walking around with stomach vagies. Yeah, the stomach vagina. Yep. We need more Cronenberg in this show, don't we? We do, man. I oh, listen. You don't need to sell that to me. He's like one of my favourite directors. So if you want more Cronenberg, I will give you more Cronenberg, sir. <laughs> I think one of my other favourite things um, so far in the past year. Obviously, when we started Baz V Horror, Graham was still on the show. Yes. Um, and he, he was he was obviously he was heavily involved with the first sort of maybe half the ones that we'd done kind of thing. And then he's departed for foreign shores now. But um, I was absolutely delighted that just before he left, we actually managed to do a show. Not only was all on it again, but all in the one room. Um, yeah, because that was around. the first time you two had actually properly <laughs> met each other. You'd <laughs> been at my wedding. You'd yeah. been at my wedding, but you hadn't really spoke at my wedding. That's so. right. I didn't know Graham at that point, And it was before you had started the podcast with him. I didn't know. I remember seeing him because obviously he sang and he was playing the guitar at your wedding. So obviously I remember mm-hmm. watching the guy, but I didn't know him and, and we didn't speak at all at any point, you know, at the reception. Um, but between his working on Rock and Reels with us as well and the work we were doing in teapots and stuff, we talked so much on the fucking internet. He was just one of my mates, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, there's yeah. this dawning realisation, you know, we've never actually met. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we might we all three of us managed to get together for that, and that was a fucking great laugh. Oh um, man, it was hilarious! It was know, one of my one of my favourite ones to record, even though I couldn't partake in the alcohol, which was flowing <laughs> like water from a waterfall in your house. As I was going to say, buffalo wings and booze fueled yep. me and Graham up for that one. <laughs> but that that was a fucking that was a tremendous afternoon. That was just so much fun. That was brilliant, and I'm glad I got to do it uh, before we Graham left. Um, for Canada because um, it's probably not going to be quite as easy to get together like that again but um, yeah, yeah that I was imagine. great that was one of my highlights I think of the year yeah it's, it's uh, been it's been a, I mean it has been a blast um, 
just getting a chance because when Graham left the show, it did kick up this this kind of quandary of do I keep going doing the show? I mean, I'd already, I mean, I'd already put quite a bit of work into it, you know, a bit of cost and all the rest. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I kind of thought, yeah, well, I still, I, I, you know, I had plenty of friends doing other podcasts. I could get people to come on, but the person I've relied on the most out of all that, without sounding like a complete soppy bastard, um, <laughs> is you. I, I mean, it's I, you're the person I've relied on the most because. Um, you're the one. Firstly, you're one of the very few people in the podcast community that I I know that's in the same time zone as me, um, <laughs> which is a bonus. Maybe uh, in the same the, fucking postcode zone as you. You, you are. You are. I, mean, I literally live about a three minute drive from your front door. Um, <laughs> so that's been that's been great. But um, you know the the fact that you know you've you've been. You just the, the enthusiasm and the energy levels constantly there for Baz V Horror, and I think when it comes to records, you're probably one of the easiest people that I've ever recorded with. I think it's always it's always great because I genuinely don't know when I hit the record button exactly what's going to happen when I record with you. <laughs> what other people I have a rough idea, Baz, with you, I never know. I'm like this, you know, this could go anyway. Um, and some of some of the funniest lines ever on this podcast have come out of episodes whether the Basby horror episodes that you've been on so i mean that has been I, I would never i mean you, you on occasion you might only ever be on one show a month but that yeah. doesn't mean that that one show isn't like my favorite that month so um i, I mean it, it does it means it means a lot to me um and it means so much to me that i i think i think um because we're, we're going to take a small break <clears throat> but um i think you know we you you might be the the person to come across to the next uh, the next part of the show and help me with some questions because we did a small ask Duncan section um, which was actually one of our listeners Rachel um, she came up with the the suggestion that you know maybe we should ask Duncan some questions um, I will try and answer as best I can I've deliberately I've sent them over to you Baz but yep. I haven't actually really read them. So sure. um, I will try my hardest to answer the questions as honest as possible. Um, you will note that I will, you know, that these are knee-jerk reactions uh, to the questions. So it might be that three weeks from now I come up with a much better answer. But um, obviously, just want to try and give you the most honest gut response as possible. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, all I can say, Baz, is um, that I'm looking forward to another year. Of uh, recording with you on this show, and I, I know for a fact that I mean, as your horror knowledge grows and it already is growing, and you're already expanding and working out what you like. I mean, you've already you've already tracked down and completed the complete works of a horror director now yourself. Oh um, yeah, the Neil Marshall films. Yeah, yeah you yeah. did. You did that. And right, there might only be three films here, but you went away and you've done it. So yeah. I mean, this is how it starts. You find the director you like. You start exploring their back catalogue of works, and then you find that that director liked another director. It's very much like music. You get into a band, you find out who those who those bands are influenced by. You check it them, and before you know it, you've branched out. You're listening to completely different things yeah. than you did when you started. Horror movies are exactly the same. So yeah. So unless you have anything else you want to say, I think we should take a, a short break. Uh, play another maybe one or two of these fantastic messages um, from some of our podcast listeners and friends out there. Um, I'm totally game for that, mate. I'm away to put on my big boy pants for the next section. 
Oh man, this will be like your Jeremy Paxman moment, and that that will only mean <laughs> things to UK listeners. He's a he's a hard hitting um, journalist who asks the tough questions, uh, or was or was or, or was so. it now, eh? Yeah, that's right. So Baz's going to be doing that. He did have a kind of Baz beard for a while though. Ah, but didn't carry it off the way I carry it off, mate. Well, that's why I got rid of it, Baz. Um, so <laughs> so we're going to take a very short break. We're going to be right back after this. <laughs> I'm clipping out over here. That means that's I'm not, way too loud. Are we getting ready to sing a song to Duncan? Or I? Hello, for, hello, hello. For Duncan, for Duncan, we sing a battle song. Duncan, for Duncan, for Duncan, give him a big black dong. <laughs> I was going to say bong. <laughs> oh, what's up, Duncan? Uh, this is your brothers over here at the Midnight Horror Show that you co-host with. It's uh, me, Danny, and Dark. Yup, yup. And Mark. Hi. No, no one dead. We're sorry, but we just wanted to say happy one-year anniversary. Right, guys? You're a whole year old. You're, you're starting to walk. Soon you'll be talking and going to preschool. Soon you'll be... Uh... Soon Duncan will be potty trained. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a little choked up over here. I'm verklempt, I you're... believe is the term. <laughs> Yeah, that's what fags say when they're sweaty. Oh, see, this was supposed to be a good message. Duncan, we're just saying happy one year, and here's to another great year, and I hope you stick around with us. And welcome back, folks. Here's a little change for you. D- Duncan's dulcet tones are missing. Um, he has... The man himself has abdicated his throne, passed it over to myself for the briefest of times. So come with me. Come with me on a journey into the mind of Duncan McLeish. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've got to say, big man, I am fucking loving this. I didn't realise you had this throne thing. I do. I, I keep telling you amazing. That. It's hard to describe, folks. If you imagine the Iron Throne from Game of Thrones, <laughs> but instead of swords, it's made out of virgin's hymens. <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite creepy, but surprisingly comfortable. Dude, that the, is the, the smell is fairly rank. I was about to say, I'll be honest with you, a wee bit of sick came up there. <laughs> anyway, I've settled into it now. I'm, I'm, I'm drunk with power here. Drunk yeah, I can, I can feel it. Whiskey at all? It's just the power. I can feel it. There's even your whole your whole tone has changed. Oh, honestly, it's it's surging through me. Like to spurt forth. Oh dear God! Yeah, graphic. No, I've probably gone too far. You're not going to let me do this again, are you? Oh, no. no, no fucking chance. Watch your SoundCloud hits plummet. <laughs> <laughs> Literally see it counting down already. Oh God. Oh. God. <coughs> yeah. So that this section of the show, folks, um, as Duncan has explained earlier, is a little bit of a Q and A. This, I believe, was suggested by young Rachel Shipley. She from, did. Um, Big horror and little podcast. That's the right one there. Yeah, see, Baz is on the ball. <laughs> um, and Duncan had put out on the the Facebook page for anybody to send in any questions or anything like that. They wanted Duncan to answer on the show. So um, I will be acting as your surrogate this evening, folks. Much like Bob Geldof in Pink Floyd's The Wall. <laughs> If anybody fucking remembers that scene. The bit at the end of it looks like a Nazi. I was going for that, right, but the, the analogy has not worked. Um, we're probably going to edit this out. Anyway. So, Duncan, are you sitting comfortably, my friend? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not on my throne, so it's not comfortable, no. no. But I, I'm sitting. And are the thumb screws tight enough? 
Yes, I yep. can't go anywhere. <laughs> excellent, yeah, excellent. Now you're suitably restrained. Okay, we're going to kick off, my friend. We're right. going to kick off, and I feel it's only fair that the first question is one that we received from Rachel herself. It was her suggestions, so fair enough. We'll let her have the first one. Uh-huh. So the first question comes from Rachel Shipley, and it states, My question as a budding podcaster, at which moment did you modestly think, I am doing all right with this? Um, oh, uh, I don't actually think... I, I, I mean, obviously, we just said in the previous section that you know, I'm still, I'm still confused. The fact that people listen to the show, and I'm not saying that in a, a kind of way trying to to play down, you know, a, an ego or anything like that. I genuinely, first and foremost, I do this show because I, I have fun with it. Um, if that fun is infectious and people check it out and they enjoy it, that's great. I think the first time I actually thought, you know, that this seems to be a bit more than what I thought it was going to be because I never had high aspirations. I always thought if I managed to get to 50 listeners, um, I was doing quite well because when I used to be in a band, um, if you played a gig to 50 people, <laughs> you kind of made it. So I was kind of thinking the same thing. Um, I was at most of those gigs. <laughs> you were at most of those gigs, Baz. You've always been there, your monkey charm. Um, but I think it was maybe when I realised that my, my downloads... Um, had my, my downloads were mostly coming from from abroad as opposed to the UK. When the the downloads from abroad overtook the downloads from the UK, is when I thought that I may have been doing something right, because as other people in the podcast world have commented, the the Scottish tongue can be a bit harsh at times, um, and can be confusing to those from the states. Um and you, uh, I think when I realised that a lot of American people were checking out my podcast, uh, at first I thought maybe they were doing it as some sort of weird curiosity or social experiment. Um, but then when I realised they were coming back week on week, um, I think that's when. I mean, the thing is, I mean, Rachel and Andy have just started up their podcast, um, which is a big horror and a little podcast, and I think they've hit it straight away. I think their chemistry's. There, we didn't really have a chemistry when we started. Me and Graham are, are friends first and foremost, so I think you got that kind of the friend thing going. But we had a tendency to prattle on about things which were, you know, maybe not on point. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, for all for all that you said that Graham, out of the two, he was always the comedy element. But in yeah. fairness to we Graham as well, he's an incredibly intelligent wee guy, and his knowledge of horror is fucking encyclopedic. Yeah, his, his knowledge I mean? of horror it, it, it dwarfs mine. Honestly, is that. Is oh my god, he he is. I mean, to put things in perspective, Graham's like got three degrees in English, and his his dissertation was actually published, and it's yeah. a look into, um, you know, uh, aspects of erotic cinema and horror. So I mean, he's you know he's. He's a he, mucky wee bastard, isn't he? he? Well, I, 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 you could never believe for one second that Graham would manage to wrangle a dissertation into porn, would you? <laughs> Unfucking believable, man. But yeah, so his, his knowledge base is ridiculous, and he's read all the textbooks and all the, the things to do with horror. So, yeah. um, me and him would, you know, have a bit of banter and all the rest. But you know, the the key was not never to make it too dry, but at the same time, never to make it just complete nonsense. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think Andy and and Rachel have got it sussed because 
their show has got great chemistry. They're, they're husband and wife first and foremost, so I mean that's why there's great chemistry there. Mm-hmm. But um, they know their horror. Um, and they stick to their guns, you know, they, they, they really do, and I think that's the thing, it's very easy to get swept up with what other people say about horror, um, I, I mean, I love the fact, I think on their second show, they, they just talk about how much they enjoy Hellraiser Bloodline, which is the fourth one, I fucking love that movie, universally, a lot of fucking folk hate it, but right. I'm like that, no, I love it, so I mean, I think that's the thing, um, I don't know if I actually sit and think on oh, my shows a success, Um all my peers that I listened to and I started have either been on the show or I've been on their show and they've all commented they like it. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's that's a resounding thumbs up. But at the same time, um, if the show, if I did, like, my, my next two shows weren't fun, I wouldn't continue doing the podcast. It, it's, it's more the fun in the fact that I get to chat to other people that I do it, other people that I've got a like mind. So uh, I hope that answers your question, Rachel. <laughs> I'm sure it does. I mean, it's interesting that you were mentioning, uh, sort of, not, maybe not foreign. I don't like referring to Americans as foreign people, but um, you know, folk out abroad and stuff like that listen to. It. I think I'm right in saying there's actually a couple of folk for Japan. Is that right? Yeah, J- Japan. Uh, we've got people in Europe. We've got people from South America. We've got people in Africa. Um, all download and listen to this podcast. I'm assuming they're expats. Um, yeah, you know, out in the out in the wider world. Um, yeah, because if, if the Americans can't understand us, there's no fucking way the Japanese can. Oh God, no! I, I've been I mean? trying. I've been trying desperately since uh, since finding out that we had two Japanese listeners to to get them to come on the Facebook page, but they won't do it. So if you're listening to this, this is like the seventh time I've asked. Just drop me a private message on Facebook because I, I genuinely am curious who's checking out this show in Japan, and it's not in Tokyo. Uh, one of them's in Osaka, and the other one is in a place that I can't even pronounce. So there you go. I had to look it up. <laughs> it, do you think it's one of those mentalists for that extreme metal band that you interviewed a while back? Oh, Church of Misery. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. I love those guys. Because they love their serial killers and shit. Those boys, don't they? Yep. <laughs> a band after my own heart. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Um, next question, then, my friend. This one is also from Rachel. All right. Um, and she says, if you could take five films specifically on Blu-ray to a desert island, horror or not, what would they be? And and for the benefit of this question, I will allow you to continue the myth of Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think people are aware of this yet, and I think I, you see it a lot on the show, but I, I never, I never, I never pin you down just so people can hear how ridiculous you sound, Baz. Um, could you please explain what you mean by myth of Blu-ray? Yeah, there is no such thing as high-definition television. It's a, a, a myth created by Sony to uh, fleece idiots of money. Um, high-definition televisions, they make no fucking difference at all. In fact, they're not even as good as old cathode ray televisions. Um DVDs, I'll give you. DVDs were better than video, but Blu-ray's a fucking myth. It's just to make you buy the same films twice. You have been suckered, my friend. Uh, right, so I get the benefit take... of Rachel's question. I'll let you carry on. With this, okay, <laughs> right, five so films, up... horror or not, for a desert island, my friend. Uh, right, um, okay. Uh, I would. The Shining is definitely there. Shining's like yep. one of, in fact, my top two movies of all time. 
um, in the horror genre, which I'll go with first, um, are The Thing and The Shining. They yeah. change position all the time. So one day it'll be The Shining, then the next day it'll be The Thing. So both of them on Blu-ray, so that's two. Um, I would take uh, Christopher Nolan's first studio feature movie, Memento, on Blu-ray, because it is legitimately one of my favourite films of all time. Um, Maguire Pierce right yes. for himself. Yeah, 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 I love that movie. I absolutely yeah. fucking love that movie. Um, I think it's because it's got a non-linear narrative um, that I quite respect. Um, and that, you know, every time I watch that movie, I see something else in the way that one of the characters acts, which i've never picked up before so i really really dig that um oh man this is kind of pressing me a fuck this is not an easy question this is really not an easy question it's it's one that you could probably talk about for about a fucking hour and they actually came up with about 25 films yeah (laughs) i I really wish yeah i really wish this is one of the ones that i had read in advance um (laughs) so i could actually yeah um I'm looking around me as if looking around at my DVDs, uh, my Blu-rays, sorry, is going to help me. Um, and it won't. Uh, well, I, I would throw I throw a fun movie in there for me. Um, I'm going to, actually, I'm just going to try and keep to the, the horror side of things. i throw a fun movie in there. I would pick They Live, um, which stars Rowdy Roddy Piper. It's a John Carpenter movie. It is fucking awesome. I absolutely love that movie. So that That's is four. Two Carpenters in your five. Yeah, well, there's about to be a third Carpenter in my five. Big Trouble in Little China would have to go with me. I have never found a time ever that I can't sit down and watch Big Trouble in Little China. I fucking love that movie. And yes, before you ask, John Carpenter is my favourite horror director. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what did we have then we had The Shining we had The Thing, thing. we had yeah. They big, Live yeah uh, Memento and Big Trouble Memento in Little China and, big trouble in Little China. and I'm pretty That's sure an eclectic mix yeah, my friend yeah I'm pretty sure if I think about it tomorrow I'll have a completely different range of movies again thanks for, for giving me a headache there Rachel yeah. that was very kind of you <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure it will change because obviously you never put Star Wars in there so you're a fucking idiot but, um, uh, well, no, you can't just put. <laughs> ah, if you've got five movies, you can't just. I wouldn't put all three of the original trilogy Star Wars in there. So I'd have to pick one, and then really that's out of context. So I would hope. Do that. Easy question. You hope. End the fucking what story. The f- Don't give me your Empire Strikes Back bollocks. Empire Strikes Back. Fuck off. Right, Better movie. Better knife, movie. Knife fight tomorrow lunchtime. <laughs> no, that's quite an interesting top five. I quite enjoyed that. Now, here's one for you, and the wee suggestion. The Shining is another film that I have never seen. Really? Yeah. So Ooh. if you ever maybe want, we could maybe do a wee thing that one night. I you would and I could watch that and we could maybe chat about it. To do that, I would love to do that. It is legitimately one of my favourite movies ever. Is it? Uh, is it scary, The Shining? I, I, I will still contend that if you watch it yourself, there is an uneasy weird kind of cabin fever-esque vibe that runs through that that's cabin fever as in the condition not the fucking movie um not the movie Uh, that kind of runs with that movie it's still certain sequences in that still give me chills um it doesn't scare me like it was the first time i watched it first time i watched it it freaked me the fuck out but i was like nine i want to say when i watched the shining first time um so yeah, I don't necessarily. I is just a tour de force man of fucking great acting, amazing story, really really good fucking sound design, and just Stanley Kubrick just being an absolute fucking boss. Every oh. shot is immaculate. It's just fucking amazing. Love did, that movie did so much. Kubrick do one flew over the cuckoo's nest. 
Um, yes. Yeah, Are I they, think yeah. so. You um, kind of put them on the spot there. Uh, while I've never seen The Shining, I did see one flew of the Cuckoo's Nest with um, Jack Nicholson in it as well. I know it's not a horror film, but I, I loved that film. That it wasn't. Was it wasn't directed. Film. No, it wasn't directed by Thingamajig. No, 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 no. no. He did. Um, he did things like uh, Two Thousand and One: A Space Odyssey. Um, Clockwork did, Orange. Clockwork Orange. Uh, yeah, Clockwork Orange is another film that's just a fucking masterpiece. Um, another one and, I've not seen. Really. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. That's another one I've got an odd thing about because my but it was banned in this country for a while. So yeah, I wonder if that's. And why. I don't know if I ever mentioned it on my. I have an older sister, and, and she's a lot older than me. My sister, she was like fourteen when I was born, kind of thing, uh-huh. you know. Um, and I was born in the early seventies, so in the sort of mid to late seventies, my sister was well into her late teens, kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And she had the book of a Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. And and our, we shared a bedroom before she moved out, kind of thing, you know. And um, I remember the the cover of the book always used to really kind of creep me out. And as you say, it was banned. And I remember folks used to talk about this film when I was small. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those ones like, oh, I can't watch that. that that's that's one of these bad film kind of things, you know. And yeah, again, yeah. I've carried that stigma with me a long time. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think. Um... I mean, maybe I think it was. Uh, I think if memory serves, Kubrick had a hand in it being banned, actually. Ah. Uh. At the time, I think I, I, I may be talking shit on that one. People, people will inform me on the page. Vanessa will let me know. She, I think she <laughs> likes that movie. So, excellent, excellent. So there we've got. I had your top five desert island films there. Uh, Blu-rays. You can't see me, but I'm air quoting here as I say Blu-rays. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on. We're going to move on to question three, and that has come in from Michael McCloskey, oh. and he says. So we've had Freddy versus Jason. Mm-hmm. What other horror crossovers would you like to see? Specifically horror crossovers. Uh, memory serves there was an idea flung around for a pinhead crossover with Ash from the Evil Dead, which I always thought sounded fucking insane because I couldn't imagine any scenario where Ash would beat Pinhead. Right. You well, you need you need two hands to open the box, and Ash has only got one hand, and the other arms are freaking chainsaw. So, um, if I did two people against each other, eh, that's not an easy one either. Because um, we do something similar in the Midnight Horror Show at the moment. We're doing Horror's Biggest Badass, which pits. It's a competition just now that's pitting people against each other, and instinctively, Jason's my favourite character. So I think Jason wins whatever he's involved with. Um, I would. Oh man, that's a good one. And obviously, we had the uh, Alien versus Predator, which both of yeah. those films are abysmal. But yeah. um, it, it, it's a hard question as well because you automatically start thinking of the kind of iconic, yeah, um, horror bad guys kind of thing. But there's probably a lot of the smaller ones that would pair up well, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I think just out of curiosity, just because they've got chainsaws, <laughs> that I'm thinking out loud. I think I would love to see. I would love to see Leatherface versus Patrick Bateman from American Psycho versus Ash from The Evil Dead in a chainsaw three way. Uh, that to me just. Uh, I'll be honest with you right now. I got a chubby just thinking of that. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Do you know what I'd like to see? What would you like to see, Bass? I'd like to see the crazy old man for Big Bad Wolves. <laughs> yeah, 
And the person tagged in the chair is that wee arsehole for Scream with the Scream mask. <laughs> basically, the old guy spends 90 minutes torturing them, telling them how he's a shit serial killer. Yeah, that's mine. I know you didn't ask me, Michael, but that's mine. <laughs> yeah, this segment's instantly changed to ass Baz. <laughs> right, so so we're, we're going with it. It's a three-way, because two aren't enough for you. So oh, yeah. Ash from The Evil Dead. Yep. Leatherface. Yep. And Patrick Bateman from, from American Psycho. American Psycho. That's some fucked up shit, Junk Dunk. Yeah, and it only they can only use chainsaws. <laughs> they can only use chainsaws. Um, so yeah, and then I'll put it back out there to any of our listeners. You tell me who would win that match and why. There we go. The gauntlet has been thrown down, listeners. Yes. Get on the Facebook page and let us know. Excellent. Good question, Michael. Thank you, sir. Um, the next question, question number four, um, has come in from Andy Blockley. Andy is Rachel, who suggested this. That's her better half and her co-host on their podcast, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, young Andy's a big contributor on the Facebook page uh, and his banter is top-notch. Um, and he says here, he would like to know your top three Arrow releases oh, based fuck. on the complete package, oh. including special features, interviews, etc. Now this, McLeish, this is right up your alley, sir. Um, this is you this, love an Arrow special release, my friend. Um, this is like picking your favourite child. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is this is I love them all for their their, their faults and their their qualities. Right, um, I I got one recently which I told you which was kind of almost mythical. I couldn't get my hands on it. It would be the Dawn of the Dead release, which I've now watched in its entirety, and it's fan fucking tastic. That, um, that's the one you actually hit track down on the internet, kind of thing, yeah. didn't you? I, I've been. Hand. Yeah, I've been I've been looking at them for months, and they go for over fifty pounds used. Um, and some poor fool did not know what they had and sold it for a steal um, to me. So um, and I didn't feel guilty. I handed over the the small amount of money and laughed. <laughs> you swooped in like some kind of eBay Nosferatu <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> the second one I would mention is. The collector's edition of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Um, Arrow put out an absolutely fucking amazing limited edition set with this. Uh, complete with kind of comic book art. Um, it has uh, three discs, if memory serves. Um, the movie, obviously, and it's fantastic. Blu-ray, which is not a myth, Baz. Uh, look, which looks amazing. Um, there was also like the complete short movie works of Tobe Hooper, the or Toby Hooper, sorry, um, the director, um, as well as other features in it, and it has a card in it to say it's collectors and numbered. So that'd be number two. My third one is a complete cop out because it is not a Blu-ray; it's a DVD from Arrow. Uh, so you would love that, Baz. Um, <laughs> It's the highest quality you get. Um, and this is purely on the fact that it is legitimately one of my favourite movies ever. But it's nonsense. And the special features, there isn't much great. But having it on DVD, um, until it comes out on Blu-ray, having it on DVD is like one of the things I treasure the most. And that would be my Blu-ray, sorry, my DVD copy of Pieces um, from 1982, I believe. Uh, it's a Spanish Jallo slasher movie and it's fucking ridiculous but I love it so much and I watch it easily two three times a year so yeah that's that's my three I have a, a question off the back of that when you watch pieces two or three times a year do you wear your pieces t-shirt when you watch it um, because yes. you do have a pieces t-shirt don't yeah don't yeah you? I, I got the pieces <laughs> I got the pieces t-shirt the same time I got the pieces 
DVD. DVD. So, yeah, the two go hand in hand now. I was, uh, I was quite surprised, um, because obviously knowing what you like, you're out of stuff and that, I was quite surprised you didn't include the stuff in there, because I know you were extremely excited when you yep. got your hands on that. Yep, yep, yep. Um, the, my only great with the stuff is the special features aren't actually all that great. Ah, uh, they right, kind okay. of, considering so many of those actors and actresses and makers of that film are still alive, I felt slightly cheated on the content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do your arrow releases, can they be a bit like that? Are they a bit hit and miss sometimes with their special, or in general, are they pretty much top notch? Um, the majority of the ones I've got are really good. Um, I think sometimes, I think it's difficult. Um, just because certain people don't want to talk about films are in, especially in that genre, you, you'll get a lot of big-named actors. It's like, it would be like trying to release a Blu-ray collector's edition of something like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street and trying to tie down Kevin Bacon for a, you know, a 20-minute interview on that movie or Johnny Depp for Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, the, yeah. Some people just transcend it and they just don't want to talk about it anymore. Other ones have talked about it to death so much anyway that when the Blu-ray comes around, they don't really want involved with it. Yeah. Um, and, and just sometimes there isn't that much to say about a movie. I mean, mm-hmm. not every movie has like this really troubled, bizarre interest in backstory. Quite yeah. a lot of movies just go well <laughs> so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, other than a director saying well it was one of the easiest movies ever shot and all the rest um, sometimes things are just face value so uh, for the most part I think and I'm not just saying this because I'm a complete Arrow whore um, I think Arrow do it really well I've just bought myself a multi-region well not multi-region it's an American region Blu-ray player and I'm going to start importing stuff from Scream Factory, which is the American equivalent. And I'm quite interested to check how the... the Your wife on. must be delighted to hear oh, she, that. She fucking hates me. <laughs> she hates me, man. She's got, she, got my, she asked me what I wanted for my birthday, and she got a list of Blu-rays, and about five of them are Scream Factory Blu-rays. And she's like, yeah. oh, fuck off, Duncan. I, uh, I always have a good chuckle, because quite often... Um, I've become aware, like through talking to you on your Facebook page and that, that um, Arrow quite often do these sales on their website. Oh and yeah, you, you always post a wee note up on the the Teapots page about it, you know, Arrow sale. And I can almost hear your wife effing and blinding because when you put that up, I know for a fact you've already bought fucking five <laughs> before you tell anybody else about the sale kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, Christ, Duncan's on another splurge. <laughs> yeah, I can't help it. I can't help it. It's too good. I know Andy's in the same boat. Andy. Um, buys just as many if not more than I do so I don't feel as guilty because he's out there doing the same so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that makes it alright don't <laughs> it does it's like it's like going to Alcoholics Anonymous and being the only one in the room it's not as bad if you go in and there's two folk <laughs> Excellent, excellent. So there we go, Andy. That was the top uh, Duncan's top three Arrow releases. And I just want to interject here uh, yep. with another special uh, message from no the bother. Facebook page. My my good buddy um, Brett Sampson, who goes by the name of Undead on the Midnight Horror Show, left a message saying, "One year, awesome. Keep up your Scottish front. Nobody has figured out yet you're really from Jersey." Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, he thinks it's all a gimmick. Superb. Superb. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, uh, back to the questions. Um, it's another one from Andy. Andy had a couple of questions in here. Um, so Andy's next question is very simply, one film you would love to see remade? 
Oh, uh, funnily enough, I've, I've answered this before. Um, I would really like to see the stuff remade, actually. Um, I think the stuff would be, as long as they did it quirky, um, I think that could be a lot of fun remade. I think that movie has a lot of things that transfer. The message hasn't really changed. The consumer commercialist message has never really switched off yeah. on that. You know, the involvement of government lo- lobby organisations and all the rest is still there and I mean the stuff is a very quirky quirky movie um, that I, you know it'd be one from that kind of genre that I would quite like to see done again if not that one purely purely because I would like to see how much of a train wreck it would be PCs I know I've said that already I think PCs it surprises me with the cult status of that movie when they were rattling through all the slasher remakes they did. No one went for Pieces because Pieces is... Exa- and the thing about Pieces is it says on its front cover, Pieces, it's exactly what you think it is. Um, there's, 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 no, there's no fancy subtext or anything in that movie. It's exactly what you think it is. It's a movie about a killer that cuts people up into pieces. And when I see how modern horror remakes tend to focus on small things like gore and blood and miss what makes a movie great, you know, miss the original message or what the filmmaker was trying to do and opt just to go for gore. That one to me is a perfect one to remake and I don't know why anyone hasn't done it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would you rather have that one over the stuff then, do you think? <sighs> um... I would no. I would. Pro- I would probably go with the stuff just because I would love to see how someone would tackle that and try and make it work. Now, yeah, um, I think Pieces is very easy to remake. You wouldn't have to do that much to it. Um, yeah. Because it's. Yeah. I mean, even by eighty two standards, it was incredibly fucking gory. I think it's like one of the goriest slashers ever made. So, right. um, I think the stuff poses more of a challenge because there is a weird kind of family quality to that movie even though it is clearly at times um, the stuff is a euf- euphemism for semen. Um, so, yeah, I would love to see how they would handle that now. The cover on the R one was quite disturbing when you showed me it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've got to say, I mean, I've never seen uh, the stuff, but I uh, spoke to you about it and I'm aware of the basic premise and I think it could actually work quite well almost in a modern kind of setting because you could yeah. bring in like, internet viral campaigns and stuff mm-hmm. like that around this idea of the stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be really cool. cool. Yeah. Excellent. So there you go. Two for the price of one, Andy. But we are going with pieces. Um, no, we're not. We're going with the stuff. The stuff. Sorry, stuff. my apologies. Okay, next question. Uh, and this has come in from listener Ryan Lewis. Um, oh, and this one's putting you on the spot. Where do you see teapots in five years? Um, Preferably not prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A prison podcast. <laughs> um, I'll be honest, I don't see teapots existing in five years' time. Um, say it so don't. Well, I think the thing is, there's only... I mean, horror's going to keep growing. And there's. it's not as if there isn't a plethora of things to, to mine old movies, modern movies, and movies that'll be coming out in the future. You know, I mean, there's, there's plenty, plenty to discuss there. I just can't... I'd, let me put it this way. If Teapots does exist in five years' time, it will nowhere near resemble what we're doing on the show just now. I think it will have completely changed. Whether that's uh, some sort of video interactive show or whether it's it's more done kind of similar to what the guys over at the Midnight Horror Show do, which is like a live radio show or 
or something. Um, I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, um, I, I mean, one year down, let's put it this way, one year down, I'm blown away by how many people have checked at the show. Can I see me doing it for another five years? Um, I don't know about that. I don't know. Uh, I, I will keep doing the shows as long as people enjoy them and as long as I'm having fun. Um, yeah. I, like I, I said before, I when it stops, think, I stop. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a lot of people realise that the work you have to put into this. Um, now, don't get me wrong, you don't make it easy on yourself because you're on about three other fucking podcasts as well. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I mean, just obviously, as you say, you kind of uh, manage, if you like, obviously you host and manage T-Putts, but you also manage the Rock and Real Reviews podcast um, on behalf of the Rock and Real Reviews website. Right. Um, and if you're not appearing on one of your other podcasts, you're guessing on somebody's. Aye. You're presenting your own, yeah. or you're working out, you know, the, the likes of Baz V Halloween. You know, the work yeah. you've had to put into planning that out, right, Baz, we're going to do these films, you know, the, the, you know, the sketching it all out and everything. Mm-hmm. Then you're fucking editing, you're uploading, you're promoting it across the internet. I mean, the work you put into these things is phenomenal, Dunk. Yeah. And you've got to think, at some point, you might want to put your feet up. Well, that's what I quite liked about um, the Skeleton Crew. I've always had this really great kind of work ethos, which is the Skeleton Crew said right from the start that we're doing 100 shows and that was it. Um, and I, I love that idea of, you know, this is, the, this is the end date, this is the date I'm working to. The downside of that is I'm a huge Skeleton Crew fan and their 100th episode will drop on Halloween. So I then have to contend with the fact that one of my favourite podcasts will no longer exist after Halloween. And as a listener, that upsets me because yeah. it's like one of my favourite shows. Um, but that doesn't mean that the guys won't be doing other things. And as you've alluded to, I do I do rock and reel reviews, which I have a great laugh. It gives me an opportunity to chat about music. I do Duncan and Bo Come Correct, which I think has got a fantastic format. And it's not genre specific, so it's about movies in general. Um, like Our most recent episode we just recorded was about two very serious kind of dark dramas. Um, so, you know, there's that, that side of things. Um, and the Midnight Horror Show is the most fun that I have doing anything. Um, it's two hours of of absolute magic every single week where I just get to act like a complete arse and people enjoy it. So, um, yeah. So, I, I mean, if Teapots doesn't exist, I would still be involved with some sort of podcast or whatever podcast. There's no guarantees. Podcasts will remain as they are five years from now. I mean, look how many people are podcasting now um, in comparison. I mean, show-wise, there's about easily the amount of shows that I listen to have more than doubled um, with new shows coming up that I'm checking out all the time and some of them are brilliant um, mm. recent ones Big Horror uh, and a little podcast love their show Kiss the Goat fucking brilliant new show that started which um, is that the devil centred yeah. one yeah oh my god and that's I said to, I said to um, to the guys over there I was like that you have a show that I did not know I needed in my life but now I can't live without so um, so yeah, I mean, who who knows? Who knows? Um, Ryan's Ryan's got a great show as well, though. I mean, Graveshift Radio is like one of my favourite shows, and I've now had the privilege of guesting on that show, and I fucking love it. So yeah, I, mean, I think the advent of the smartphones has, has made has brought podcasting back again. I remember yep. when when iPods first became kind of popular and this idea of podcast started up and you could download them from iTunes and that and I remember when I got my first iPod downloading a few of them and listening to them at the time kind of thing and it was a bit of a novelty at the time 
and then they seem to die away. But with the advent of things like Stitcher and that, mm-hmm. you've got them in your pocket now. You yeah. don't even need to bother. You can just stream. You can go into Stitcher. You can browse about. Oh, that sounds interesting. I quite like Western films or something. Do you know what I mean? I'll check that out. Oh, there we go. And you can listen to it straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I think they're much more accessible now to the general, you know, not people that are into podcasts. I think other people will happen across them nowadays, you know? Yeah. Definitely. I, I, think, I think that's spot on. Excellent. So there we go, Ryan. We might be here in five years. We might not be. Duncan's not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> The next question uh, comes in from a Graham, is it Lamprey? Lamprey? Pumphrey? <laughs> Humphrey. Humphrey. Yeah. Graham, Graham Humphrey. <laughs> Don't know who. Yeah. He asks rather cryptically, do you miss being overshadowed by your co-host's glorious banter? But I don't <laughs> think my glorious banter has ever overshadowed you, don't <laughs> He's gonna fucking kill me for that. He's gonna be, he's gonna be shouting at the, he's gonna be shouting at the machine. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, obviously Graham, former co-host. Um, I, I'm, I miss Graham doing the shows with me, um, and I will openly say I don't miss Graham doing the shows with me, um, and he'll know what I mean. Uh, t- towards the end there, it was quite difficult for us to to actually both get a time that we could both sit down and do it. Um, mostly on his end just because he was travelling America he was making moves to go to Canada so it was very difficult to tie him down I really enjoy the fact that he stops by every now and again because Graham has a particular presence which is which is great when it's contained for a while and then gets unleashed because just very much like yourself, when see when Graham starts talking, I have not a fucking clue how his sentence is going to you know finish, and there's something quite dangerous about that and a lot of fun. And um, it normally takes about ten to fifteen minutes for the sentence to finish as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Graham can yeah. fucking talk. Oh god, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, I I do miss Graham, but the, the the fact that I have the opportunity to keep podcasting on, on an ad hoc basis is better than not having the opportunity at all. So. I mean, certainly from my point of view, as somebody that listened to the podcast before I was involved in it, um, I, I don't think there's any of the listeners out there wouldn't say that they, you know, they didn't miss Graham on the show. Oh, he's, his, oh, his, his part was, was phenomenal. Um, and like we said earlier on as well, he's incredibly knowledgeable about the subject. Um, and he comes from a very academic background as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, certainly for me, you know, I, I miss hearing them on it kind of thing. But as you say, he pops along every now and then and upsets the apple cart. It's yeah, great. he's he's now in Canada. He's now moved over there, and he's currently he's currently living in hostels until he manages to. He's got a place he's moving into, but it's not all set up yet. So, like, um, like the littlest hobo, but with less hair. <laughs> so, um, I know for a fact that once he's settled and stuff like that, he will be making appearances back on the show again. So um, I will keep you all up to date, guys, when he's going to be back on. And make sure that when he does come back on, you show him plenty of love. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, the next question uh, has come in oh, from a big pal of ours, Big Satanic Kyle Sevenoaks. <laughs> um, <laughs> our, our fellow reviewer at Rock and Roll Reviews over there in Norway. Uh, and Big Kyle, in typical Kyle fashion, asks, which man, alive or dead, would you go full gay for? <laughs> now, before you answer this, I would like to point out, if anybody has ever heard 
any of the Rock and Real Reviews podcasts <laughs> that Duncan and Kyle appear on together. Shit gets really gay really quick between the two of them. <laughs> so uh, this question does not surprise me at all, Mr. Seven Oaks. Um, and unfortunately, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to break his heart. Um, <laughs> if if we're, if we're going from a character from movies, then uh, I've said it once before. I shall say it again. Probably, probably Johnny Depp. <laughs> I know that's from the movies. I mind a wee bit Johnny Depp. Um, if we're going in terms of out with the movies, Dave, of course, at Rock and Roll Reviews. He's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was quite funny. I, I was round at his house the other day. Well, you were there as well. We were doing um, the Ice Bucket Challenge. Yeah, yeah. Rock and Roll Reviews. Uh, and after you had left, um, Dave's wife actually said to my wife, you know what, I, I do worry about David and Duncan sometimes. <laughs> well, we're talking about people having affairs. Yes, oh well. Yeah. <laughs> well now, now's, now's not the podcast to admit that that's actually happened. So um, we'll, save, we'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> So, Dave Buchanan or Johnny Depp? Yeah. <laughs> they, kind of, they, they kind of look the same. Dave's got a kind of Johnny Depp quality about him. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't often bath. Um. <laughs> oh, so there you go, Kyle. Unfortunately, it's not you, my friend. But, um. uh, it's, it's not. Although I do, I do love a bit of my, my, my uh, Norwegian buddy. You um, do. Maybe he would go partial gay for you, Kyle. Possibly. And speaking of... Uh, satanic folk um I, I want to read out another another message from the mm-hmm. facebook page um uh, jeffrey x martin he's a guy that does uh, kiss the goat says happy anniversary you geezers just started listening to the show and it's amazing may there be many more so thank you very much jeffrey i have also just started listening to your podcast because you're like two episodes in um and can say i fucking love it i can't wait for more and i know you're sitting on about four or five recorded episodes get them out excellent excellent um the next question comes in from oh a good wee pal of mine as well uh, and a guy who's listened to this show for a long time uh, young jamie wilson oh over jamie, there in, like jamie over there in sunny northern ireland uh jamie says happy anniversary uh and what would be the character you would most fear or prefer to fight against? This is typical Jamie Wilson, isn't it? Uh, the character that I most fear? Um, i trying to think who, who in cinema installs the most fear into me. Um, that's not an easy one because my, my, my gut reaction is obviously, like I said before, Jason's my boy. I want to stick with him, but Jason doesn't really scare me. He mm. hasn't scared me since I was a very, very, very young child. Um, that is not a fucking easy question. Uh, Try to think who's. I think the ones that are more terrifying, if I'm being honest, are the ones that are less supernatural. I think um, the characters that are more based in real life. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like a character like a character like Frank from a um, from Maniac, to me is a character that terrifies me because he's a real person. Even though he's fictional, he's a real person. There's nothing there's nothing supernatural about him. Patrick Bateman as well is another character that's you know is a real person. It's like people that don't have that. It's like people that don't have the connection there uh, between right and wrong. The, yeah. you know, the, they don't have a moral compass. Those are the ones that, that probably scare me more. Mm. Um, I tend to find that that's sometimes the scariest horror that I do watch. 
are the ones where you know you're dealing with someone who is okay with torturing you or okay with killing you or you know there's no there's nothing there making there's no pang of guilt um so i, I couldn't maybe I, I would struggle to pick one person but that is a genre i'm so going to throw a name into the ring for you don't oh go for it hannibal lecter Hannibal Lecter probably would scare the shit out of me, um, especially now, his portrayal now, maybe less with the Anthony Hopkins, because I've said before, towards the end, Anthony Hopkins gets very camp, um, and, and less sinister, uh, the Mads Mikkels performance, the Hannibal yeah. Lecter, yeah, I think I think there's something truly terrifying about, about someone who is just, can get inside your head, but at the same time is just so fucking morally repugnant that, you know, Nothing is taboo to someone like that. Um, so yeah, although yeah. I would never, never appear on Hannibal Lecter's radar because I'm far too polite. He only goes after <laughs> people that are rude. So, <laughs> I um, um, what I think scares me about Lecter, it, it's it's not his, you know, the physical strength or the the brutality or anything. It's, it's the intelligence and yeah. just knowing you're completely helpless because you're just not as fucking clever as him and whatever yeah. you think you're going to do he knows you're going to do it that yeah, I think quite scary do you know what I mean yeah he's three steps ahead all yeah. the time I think yeah. yeah I think there's yeah there's something there's something quite quite sinister obviously characters there's obvious characters like like Leatherface Leatherface still to this day I get like a you know I get a creeped weird out feeling and if Baz ever does watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre you'll see why that is right so yeah, so I hope that answers your question. Whilst it was kind of a cop-out, I think we came to an answer in the end. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, next question uh, it comes in from Jason Lloyd. Oh, yeah, um, Jason. It actually starts off with with another anniversary thing, which I think you read out earlier on, but I'll read yeah. it out again, because it's always yeah. nice to hear. Uh, damn, I was just on vacation, or I would have recorded something for you. Happy MFing anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Um, uh, Jason's question, though... Um, what movies that you know are pieces of shit, but you just can't help loving? That's the first one. There's actually two questions I've just noticed. Hey. That's the first one. So a film you know that's a piece of shit, but you just love it anyway. <laughs> hey. oh, I'm trying to think what ones I defend that I get slagged off for <laughs> all the time. All the time. Um, and there's a lot of hate out there for the people under the stairs. And I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I think um, I've said before many times. I think it's like one of Wes Craven's stronger movies. I think it's one of his most underrated movies. There's a lot of people just can't get past how fucking goofy that movie is. Um, as one that I tend to find that I have to defend myself, um, especially when people go, "Did you name your podcast after that movie?" You <laughs> mad, mad man. Um, so yeah, that's one. That, that was one. Obviously, pieces again. Pieces will always keep coming up because pieces are ludicrous. It's an absolute ludicrous movie. I like. Um, I would go so far as to say that I recently checked out, and this one will probably get me a lot of hate online. Um, I recently checked out. Um, I'm going to be doing a roundtable coming up with some uh, some fellow podcasters. We're going to be talking about the collective works of Dario Argento, uh, the Italian horror maestro um, and I'd always been told that his third part to the, the Mother of Tears trilogy was shit and that movie is the Mother of Tears and I checked it out and I actually don't know why there's so much hate for that movie it's nowhere near as bad as people say it is um, 
it's kind of I think there's uh, uh, there's flashes of greatness right through that. I think the story and maybe the script are brilliant, but to me, is it's a competent, really, really, really well shot horror movie. So I would probably go with that then. Mother of Tears. Um, people hate that movie, but by God, I'll defend it. There we go. Uh, Jason, there's a second question tagged on the end here. What is the single greatest podcast episode you can <laughs> ever recall listening to? Um, and this one's there's a there's a toss up here um, between and this is a cop out but I'm gonna pick two um, but they're both on Jason's network so I'll be happy about that. <laughs> uh, Gil and Roscoe once done a Doctor Who special, which I think okay. is where basically they travel through time um, using the TARDIS. <laughs> Um, and if you've never checked this out you have to check it out they went all out with production so there's sound effects and fucking everything and they travel through the history of uh, the movies of Doctor Who um, oh, and the, I'm not the movies a, yeah, right. I am not a Doctor Who fan I really am and I know that the, the showmakers are doing pretty much everything they can to get me to watch by you know putting in Peter Capaldi as a Doctor mm-hmm. Who I yeah. think is a great Scottish actor but um yeah, so, and Ben Wheatley directed the first episode. It's almost as if they're, like, trying to reel me in and I resist. Um, but, yeah, so, I think, um, I think their episode, The Skeleton Crew um, did an episode, and I'm going to be controversial here, a lot of people say their Halloween movie awards is their best episode. I don't think it's their best episode. I think my favourite episode they've ever done is one they did fairly recently as a collaboration with the Banana Laser guys, where they basically stacked up all the Friday the 13th movies versus all the Halloween movies um, in a competition to see through various different categories which was the better franchise. And I think that show was fucking brilliant. I thought it was a great concept. It was a really original concept. I thought it was hugely entertaining. It was great just hearing the guys pull apart these movies, but at the same time praise some of the nonsense and, you know, overlooks like mistakes in the movies and all the rest. Um, and just because I've never heard it done in any other show, um, I would say that one as well. So, yeah, those are my two. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, we're getting towards the end here. The next question uh, comes in from Tristan Narly Martin. Uh, <laughs> I am... I'm not sure how much of the, the lead-in to this question is true and how much is not. <laughs> I don't know Tristan at all. This well, Tristan's not, the one that made me look at the Highlander. Yeah, yeah. This could all be absolutely genuine. It could be utter pish. I'm not quite sure. But the question goes like this. <laughs> My production company, Brackets, Pee in Your Butt Pictures, <laughs> is currently shooting a, a film called The House That Meth Built. And during the scene where the mother suddenly walks in on the son who is violently masturbating over her signed VHS copy of La Bamba, (laughs) I found myself struggling on who to cast as the son's therapist in the next scene. Who do you rate as one of Hollywood's leading actors at the moment? How he couldn't just have fucking said who's your favourite actor (laughs) is beyond me. But anyway, Tristan would like to know who who you rate as one of the leading actors at the moment. And I'm assuming who could pull off the... Therapist of the La Bamba masturbator. <laughs> uh, what it what there's there's a I think there's some really interesting actors out there just now. I've made no qualms about the fact that I think Michael C. Hall is a fantastic actor. I think he was brilliant in Dexter, I think he was brilliant in Six Feet Under and Cold in July is one of my favourite movies this year. So I think he's still one that he's I think he's got great potential. Um I think he's just a great actor anyway. Um 
I could see him pulling off a therapist as well. Actually, I could. I could Not actually. That I think brooding thing going on, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he's. I think he'd be really good at that. Um, there's obvious ones out there. Uh, Tom Hardy, I think, is a brilliant actor. I recently saw his movie Lock, which I know a lot of people. Well, I'm going to say a lot of people didn't like. A lot of people liked our boss didn't like Dave hated it yeah. um, but I, I didn't think it was a bad movie at all I thought his performance was excellent in it and he's another one that I could imagine playing a therapist he, do, he does so many diverse roles that I can imagine him just you know I'm going to be I'm going to be a therapist um, and then I mean you could swing off into things like I think like and I know his name gets dropped against everything I think Ryan Gosling's a really interesting actor as well um, he's quite intense but there's multi layers to him. I've seen him play kind of goofy roles. I've played him. I've seen him play serial killer roles. You know, he's a he's an interesting actor. So um, yeah, I think Michael C. Hall. Uh, all of them. I think he's he's one that. And you know how much I love Dexter. Not the end, oh, yeah. but you know how much I love Dexter. Indeed, indeed. Excellent, excellent. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Tristan. Um, <laughs> I know. I want to know who the wee guy masturbating over Lou Diamond Phillips is. Who you're going to fucking cast in that part? Corey Feldman. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll cast. It'll be Corey Feldman, Macaulay Culkin, or that dude from Terminator Two, whose name escapes me. Oh, I'd it? fucking watch that film. Oh, I what's his name? Uh, um, Furlong. Edward Furlong. Furlong aye. Yeah. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> All right. Um, next question: Joshua Lee Hodges. Yes. Um, and again, he's he's led in with a little greeting, but you mentioned it earlier on. He's just started listening to Stitcher and is amazed. Um, our show and Devour the podcast are the favourites. Baz v Horror is the shit. It's not that, uh, uh, and it's a well placed the because otherwise it's just Baz v Horror is shit. Um, he would like to know what your creepiest soundtrack or even one musical piece used in a horror film or TV show is. And he is a caveat here. Tubular bells and Carpenter's Halloween theme may be permitted, but are oh. discouraged for lack of originality. Uh, this is an easy one for me. Uh, I I think it would have to be um, Suspiria by Goblin. Um, I, the first time I ever saw that movie, once again at an impressionable age, and that actual the, the actual track Suspiria kicked in, it freaked me out. And it could be something to do with the fact of the kind of tribal, weird, kind of droning sort of tom drums they play and the eerie synth sound and the fact that the guy's going, witch, 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 all the way through it, freaked me the fuck out. Right, so, so, can I show you, right, so what's the name of the film, Suspiria? The, the film's called Suspiria. It's by right. Dario Argento. The band right. that did it are Goblin, the band I saw recently. Oh, right. Yeah, I saw them play. Um, well, I saw Cla- Claudio Simonetti, who's the keyboardist, his version of Goblin, because there's two versions of the band out there, and they played live in Glasgow, and they played their soundtrack works from different movies. Um, and hearing that song live was just as powerful. I love that song. So what's Suspiria. that film about? Uh, well, I can't tell you, because it's, uh, it's on an upcoming Baz V Horror, so... Oh, right, okay. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Right. Okay, okay. So there you go. I thought that was one of these ones you would have struggled with creepiest soundtracks. No, no, no. It's um, I've answered this question. I actually think before. Um, uh-huh. I believe I answered it on one of my Halloween episodes, where I talked about favourite soundtracks. Um, I know he's just new to the group, so he might not have went back and checked out that episode yet. But I have, I have answered that before. Suspiria by Goblin. Excellent, excellent. 
And that brings us to the final question of the evening, oh. uh, which comes in from, again, it's from Rachel. Oh, she um, opened and closed. That's yes, nice. we've come full circle. <laughs> the circle of life, as it were. Um, which, again, was another wonderful soundtrack, but maybe not <laughs> horror-related. I don't know. You've seen Elton John's wardrobe. That's true. That's true. Uh, Rachel's final question there. Question for all of you. I don't know if that uh-huh. includes me or not, but maybe yeah, it does. Yeah, that's you. Um, yeah. If you could have played any horror role, what would it be? Okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll go back to. I'll go back to where I would love to. I would love to play Hannibal Lecter. I think that's a. Who would not want to play a very suave, sophisticated, serial killing cannibal? <laughs> Just <laughs> to be perfect, him or Patrick Bateman. I think Patrick Bateman as well, and he's on the similar boat. Um, suave, sophisticated, serial killing cannibal. Um, I think both of those characters are really fucking interesting because they're more rooted in real life than. Than, than anything else. Um, if I wanted to answer a really creepy, weird question just to freak her out, I would play Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs just so I could have a sequence where I wear a woman's skin and tuck my cock between my legs. Duncan's got him in China. Duncan's got him in China. Well, um, that leads me quite neatly into my answer. I would like to play James Wood's character in Videodrome. Oh, stomach vag. I would like a stomach vagina. Dude, have you ever seen have you ever seen um John Carpenter's Vampires? Yes. You have with James uh, Wood? Yeah. Ah yeah, he's the vampire killer. Ah, he's fucking Guy amazing. Who, uh, Sons of Anarchy's in it as well. Yeah. He's, he's, like, Elvis yeah he's absolutely amazing. Like one of my favourite sequences ever with James Wood is the, the moment where he's all He's all captured and all the rest, and um, the the wee priest guy is is trying to mess with the, the the main vampire dude, and he's like, you know, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he, he starts saying things, and James Wood says, "That's right, Padre, fuck with him," um, but he screams at a priest, which is completely inappropriate. Yeah. I was just like, you're just one cool motherfucker. James Wood's awesome. So yeah, I would I would pick that purely so I could have a vagina in my stomach. And a manky gun hand. It's I'm a quoting bit... you at the moment here. Manky gun hand. Manky gun fist. <laughs> um, because it's also... I want that for similar reasons that I'd like to be Meatloaf's character in Fight Club. Because Ooh. if I see if I ever got a hormone deficiency where I grew breasts, I'd yes. never leave the fucking house. <laughs> Honestly, I'd just sit up in my bedroom fondling myself. <laughs> Um, yeah, so oh. then, and the, the other possibility actually, if I can't be James Wood in Videodrome, I would take over from fucking Keanu Reeves and Constantine because I could have done it better. Oh, anyone could have you done know it. You know what better. I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Peter Dinklage <laughs> from Game of Thrones could have done fucking John Constantine better than Keanu Reeves did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, man, that's awesome. You know, oh. So. Duncan, that brings yes. us to the end of our question and answer session. Right, get off uh, my fucking chair. Ah, yeah. Whoa, no, no, no. Just hold your horses, sir. I would like to thank the listeners for taking part in this wonderful mm-hmm. set of questions, some interesting conversations. I would like to thank you, my friend, for relinquishing your throne to me for the briefest <laughs> of times. And please, with my blessings, please take your seat back on your hymen throne. 
<laughs> the throne. Oh, that feels that feels so much better. There we See, go. That's, settled that's, in. That's my, my my comfy seat now. So thank you very much to Baz for joining me uh, to to shoot the shit and ask me some questions. Um, we are going to jump out right now, but we're going to return with our second movie review of this podcast. Um, I'm going to be joined by my good friends Jamie Jenkins and Bo Ransdell uh, as we discuss the brand new Jim Mickle movie cold in july thanks again baz do you want to say goodbye to listeners goodbye listeners right you're going to hear uh the the segment i've already recorded for cold in july and it's going to be coming up right after this greetings podcast under the stairs uh duncan graham and the baz uh this is vanessa McGinnery in uh, new york freshly moved from queens back to brooklyn so I'm in a virtually empty apartment. I apologize again for the little bit of uh, echo. But uh, so happy birthday um, on a year. Happy anniversary. I'm not sure exactly what you want to say on that one. Anyway, I just uh, wanted to wish you guys well and hope that there are another year, 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 many years (laughs) ahead. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this uh movie review and the very special one year anniversary of the podcast Under the Stairs. So uh, joining me in my festivities uh, on this movie review, I have two very special guests. They um, work together on a particular podcast, but separately on other podcasts and have podcasts both with myself several times. In fact, one of them this particular review was something that was promised months ago. Um, So I'm not going to waste any more time kind of pretending to ooh this is who who do we have behind door number one I'm just going to tell you who they are so I have the the esteemed colleague of mine from Duncan and Bo Come Correct uh, Mr. Bo Ransdell how you doing sir? I'm doing well and you know something Duncan mm-hmm. you're a special host oh <laughs> Spe- special as in how how are we talking here yellow bus special or <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that up to listeners um, <laughs> but it, it, you know if we're going to be characterized as as special guests Yes. Uh, I feel like, you know, it, it should be reciprocated. Oh, see. And happy anniversary. One yeah, one year. I feel strange. I don't know how I feel about it. I didn't think it would last this long. But yeah. Um, and obviously, I've said on many, many times before, Devour the Podcast uh, was one of my gateway horror podcasts, which kind of made me want to kind of start doing my own show. So it feels feels quite cool to have Jamie Jenkins on the show because Jamie Jenkins was the one that told me when I was like that, I might think I want to do one of these things. Jamie Jenkins was the one that told me to do it. So how are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing very well. I'm so excited to be here. Happy anniversary. Yeah. And, uh, I'm thrilled. And I, I, there's so many things I'm excited about. I love talking to you. <laughs> You know, Bo's okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The uh, finishing up Micklemania is, uh, I've been waiting for this, and your one-year anniversary. I I can't stand it. Yeah, you were there on episode number one. 
I know. I was which, there for the birth. <laughs> so was that was a year ago, which is pretty scary now when I think about it. But yeah, you've touched on the the movie we will be reviewing is um, Cold in July, which is a new Jim Mickle movie. Uh, a couple of months ago, episode number sixteen of the podcast Under the Stairs, myself and Jamie Jenkins sat down and looked at the the entire filmography of Jim Mickle. Um, so at that point, we went through Mulberry Street, we did Stakeland, and we are what we are. And I think. What you kind of coined on that show, and I know you've you've carried that forward to other shows now, is to basically say that you can easily and very very clearly chart the the growth of that director, um, all the way from you know, I, I mean even his first movie, Mulberry Street, is a competent movie. There was a couple of things we had issues with, but the story was quite cool. Um, but when you see where he ended up with we are what we are it's almost like a completely different director um moving forward into cold in july i mean the thing that and we're, we're gonna we're you're gonna hear the trailer for it very very shortly folks and then we're going to discuss it but um what i like most about it is the fact that, that this guy kind of sticks to what he knows works so nick dimitri's back doing work on the writing aspect of it and starring in the movie which i appreciate you know because obviously as he's progressed through his career the the kind of star qualities improved i mean michael c hall appearing in this that's a big draw there's a lot of fans out there that enjoyed dexter but even people like don johnson making an appearance you know in this movie are just showing that michael's sphere of influence is kind of getting out there and i, I hope that these you know actors have enjoyed his work as much as we've enjoyed it so uh, yeah so i can't wait to discuss it so with that in mind, uh, we are going to take a very, 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 very quick break. You're going to hear the trailer for the movie. And when we return, oh, by God, we're going to talk about Cold in July right after this. Richard. Mm. I think I heard something. Felon, you're an upstanding citizen. Sometimes a good guy wins. What's this? That's not the guy I shot. It's called shock. Why don't you go home and let me deal with the police work then? I hear you got you one last night. It's not something I'm proud of. Police want a statement from me. It's all over the school. So what happens now? We buried a son of a bitch. He got any family? A daddy in Huntsville prison. He just got paroled. Mr. Russell, I'm sorry. You're, uh, Dane, right? Your boy. He looks a whole lot like you, doesn't he? He's in the house! Get back in the car. Oh, my God. He's probably just trying to scare you. Don't let him. We'll get him. Don't you worry. It's not the guy. What are we supposed to do now? Luke Detective Agency. How far do you want to take this? The cops are up to something. They use my family as bait. I want to know why.
boys. Tally duty time. And you've just heard the trailer for Cold in July. So let me give you some information, and then we're gonna we're gonna just literally just blow this movie. Um, <laughs> just like taking tons we're gonna run a train on it um yeah <laughs> <laughs> pretty much uh cold in july came out this year 2014 it was directed of course by the man jim mickle um it was based on a joe r lansdale novel but the screenplay was done by nick dimici the film stars michael c hall vanessa shaw don johnson white russell sam shepherd nick dimici and there are some other people there but we're not going to go too much into that the synopsis is when a protective father meets a murderous ex-con both need to uh, deviate from the path that they were on as soon as they find themselves entangled in a downward spiral of lies violence or having to confront their own inner psyche so jamie i will stop you we're not spoiling this movie just now but i feel i should stop you because you did michaelmania um what did you think of cold in july well, first of all, I think that this one continues his upward spiral as a filmmaker. Mickle has proven once again that he continues to grow. And I I can't think of another filmmaker uh, which you can clearly map his progression from mm-hmm. one film to the next. And it just – it. I feel two ways about that. I One, it makes me that much more excited to see what else he has. But then it also kind of scares me because I'm afraid at some point he's going to top out. And so it, now I'm starting to go into each film with trepidation, like, oh, you know, and you know, wondering if my expectations are too high. However, Cold in July it did not <laughs> did uh, fail me. I mean, it completely met my expectations and even higher and uh, one thing I've said about this almost immediately when I watch this is that now I feel like he is up there with the Coen brothers that's exactly mm-hmm. what this film reminded me of and um, they're some of my favorite they're some of my favorite filmmakers period and so when I'm watching this I was just <laughs> I was blown away I thought the performances were amazing I love Michael C. Hall I thought this was a really nice turn for him I, the only thing that I that I wished was that Michael Parks had been squeezed like squeezed in oh, there yeah. somewhere because I'm <laughs> such a big fan of his. But at the same time, I have no complaints about anyone that was chosen. I think it was cast perfectly. And when I don't even know that Don Johnson was in this film, and when mm-hmm. he comes walking through the door, I was like, "That's fucking Don Johnson!" And then <laughs> and then the very next thing that came out of my mouth was Quentin T- Quentin Tarantino has done it again mm-hmm. because. Um, Don Johnson, I think, is one of those actors that came back um, after his um, recent appearance in Django. Uh, he's an actor. I mean, he's always been out there, but, you know, he's just one of those that I felt Tarantino kind of breathed life into again. Mm-hmm. And um, so then now Mickle has picked up the torch and run with it like he's done with Kelly McGillis. And yeah. uh, it, it just... I love that. That's one of my favorite things about him is that you never know who is going to be popping up in his films. And as he gets more and more under his belt, then I think he's going to be attracting, you know, bigger and better, more known people who want to be a part of the Mickle world. And I can't blame them because it's sensational. Yeah, here, well said. <laughs> right, uh, Bo, kick in. Yeah, let's, let's find out what you thought of watching Cold in July. Yeah, I, I'll have to echo some of what Jamie says. Um, I think that Mickle's 
films are you can rank them in order of release uh i think cold in july is uh not just his best movie um i think it's one of the best movies of the year mm-hmm. uh i yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to see a director kind of transcend the genre um, and move on to something that is really satisfying just, you know, in, in, in a different genre. I would, I would kind of classify this as almost a, a neo-noir story. Um, but to speak about the film specifically, um, the performances are really great. Michael C. Hall is very fun as kind of the nebbishy husband uh, that you see in and and the whole movie like I know we're not going to get into spoilers but I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the movie is the the events of the movie are are set off by a home invasion Michael C Hall is a uh, a homeowner who goes to check on a noise he hears and uh, gun in hand the gun goes off when he hears a noise and sure enough he is he has killed an intruder um and what happens from there seems like it would be a pretty routine affair as you see uh, this character get involved with a relative of the person who he shot, who's kind of a low life uh, in his own right, and the family is threatened. And it is to this film's credit that what you think this movie is going to be is not what it ultimately is. Um, it is very well acted i really really like sam shepherd in this movie a whole lot as well as don johnson as jim bob luke um <laughs> he who's was a private investigator. god yeah. he was perfect he's really really good in it uh michael c hall who i know best from you know dexter and six feet under mm-hmm. uh is kind of surprising in this because i i completely bought his character uh i i would argue that his characters in Dexter and Six Feet Under, while very different characters, mm-hmm. aren't as different as this is from anything else he's played that I, mm-hmm. I've seen him in. And I thought he was great in this. Uh, I like the dynamic with this family and with his wife in particular. Um, it is a movie that is not always violent, but when it is, it is kind of brutal and uh, there is a sort of a mystery at the heart of of the movie that turns out not to be the most significant thing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a really fascinating movie, and and it's tough to talk about without discussing the things that make it really interesting. Suffice to say, there are things that make it really interesting beyond the premise, and I I think it's. Like I said, Jim Mickle's best movie for sure. Uh, one of the best movies I've seen this year um, on the most recent Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Not well, when this airs, probably not the most recent. But um, <laughs> we discussed the movie briefly. And I compared it to Blood Simple, which is the Coen Brothers' first film. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. When you said that, I was like, damn it, Jenkins. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad I got it out first. <laughs> right. And also a movie called Blue Ruin. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think the two are an interesting back-to-back watch. Um, yeah, it's it's a really solid. Well, solid almost undersells it. It's a really really great uh, murder mystery slash revenge movie, and it's it's unexpected. Like that, it, it, you know, as we've said, there there is. 
there is a movie going on in this movie that you don't recognize until it happens. And mm-hmm. it's it's something else, man. It, it's one of the more surprising films I've seen in a long time. I also would like to make mention of the fact that this is a period film uh, and that it's ni- it's set in 1994, 1990. What, what year was it? I want to say 94. But, 89, um, 1989. Okay, okay, just kidding. That accounts for the mullets, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, but I was, and I'm, whenever a film does that, I'm like eagle eye. Like I'm watching for the tiniest flub. I'm watching for anything that's out of place, anything that shouldn't have existed at the time. I, everything from like decor to street signs to whatever I'm looking. And I found nothing. I mean, he put this film together beautifully with, with an amazing attention to detail, which is something else I greatly appreciate. So I just wanted to give him props for that too. Yeah. yeah what I mean, the, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Duncan, go ahead. I was going to say that was something that I think we clocked on. Um, we are what we are is that there's no real indication of when that movie's set, except for at some point there is a mobile phone in that movie, but the mobile phone is of such a generic sort of standard timeless brand, which you've probably seen for the last 10 years that you still can't really pinpoint it and there's no computer shown in the movie or anything so it's very difficult to pinpoint the time period of that um, and that is attention to detail and I think just like what Jamie says that falls right through to this the attention to detail in the time period setting in terms of what people wear um, you know just there's there's no there's no dialect references to anything which has come up recently you know or anything like that like no one's walking around mentioning Google um, you know, or anything like that in the movie um, is, is, is a lot to its credit as well and quite clever uh, what were you going to say Bo, sorry uh, yeah, I, I was going to say that the you know, in in particular with uh, period movies like this of, of relatively recent period films although I guess it's, what, 15 years ago at this point mm-hmm. um, I like the fact that even though it's set in 1989 not every car is a 1989 model mm-hmm. you know yeah. That it it's it's set during that time, but everyone's cars are like five years older than that. Which and is realistic. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's you know, as you were saying, that kind of attention to detail that makes the period sell. And and not just that, like I said, the you know, the fashion and the hairstyles and all that stuff. And um, you know, I, I am not a Texan, nor have ever been. But it's good to know. Yeah. Uh. I, <laughs> I categorically deny my accusations of being a Texan. (laughs) But, you know, I think you can also see that sort of southern small town, which I am very familiar with, and they get that stuff right. Like the the fact that Michael C. Hall works in a framing shop and everyone kind of knows him. Like as soon as the shooting occurs, which happens in what, the first seven minutes of the movie, if that, you know, it it may even be. Yeah, it may even be quicker than that. So, again, no spoilers there. But immediately everyone in town knows about it. You know, everyone sort of has their take on it. Usually it's congratulatory. And meanwhile, Michael C. Hall is like, I killed somebody. Like, yeah. I, I'm not cool with this. <laughs> um, it, it's, yeah, it, like, even from, from jump, like, Mickle really kicks this movie into high gear very quickly. And it never lets up. I mean, th- this movie is what hour forty? I want to say, yeah, yeah something right. like that. And man, this movie hums, mm-hmm. flies it, it, by. 
yeah, I mean, there is not a wasted breath in this movie. Everything that happens happens for a reason. And it just, it, man, this thing moves like a rocket. It, it's really something else. Uh, you know, and, but at the same time, it doesn't ever sacrifice character. Like it's very much a character story. And it, it really impressed me how well Mickle handles keeping the plot moving because this is a very plot heavy film without ever losing sight of the fact that you're also dealing with these character motivations that are shifting as the film goes along. And yeah, it, I mean, it, it really is the work of a very talented, confident, experienced director. And yeah, he's going to eventually do a bad movie just because those, those are the odds, but this ain't the one, this is the best thing he's done so far. <laughs> and Mickle is one of the few directors that I will allow going in to have a longer running time and not be concerned about it. Because mm -hmm. uh, what ends up happening every time is that by the time we get to the end, I'm not ready for it to be over. I'm not finished being with these characters. I want to spend more time with these characters. I want to spend more time in the setting in this time period. And, and I'm always sad that it's over already. And even with the extended running time, I still was sad that it was over because I wanted more of of it and he is consistent in that you know and there are a, there are a handful of directors that if i see a long running time and that's not particularly long but for some reason i mean but for some people anything over 90 minutes is kind of scary um one of my co-hosts on directed on uh, or my co-host on direct to video uh, he gets he gets a little nervous if a film runs longer than 90 minutes and uh, it you know it makes him worry, and we actually covered we are what we are, and that was one of his issues with it. He he felt it was too long, and mm -hmm. I felt it wasn't long enough. And that's, so, um, but there are a handful of directors that when I see a longer running time, I'm just like, hey, that's okay, take it, go with it, because I trust you. And he is one of those. And to only have these four films under his belt is, I, I think that's pretty it's pretty miraculous that I already have that kind of faith in him, and I'm willing to watch whatever he puts in front of me. Yeah, honestly, my only complaint with this movie, and it's barely a complaint, um, in fact, I think it may ultimately be kind of the point of the movie, is that there is a central question that is asked several times throughout the movie that is never answered. And I think that's really... It, it, it's either a glaring flaw in the film... Mm -hmm. Or it is what Mickle was getting at, and I think it's the latter. Right. I think right. I know what you're referring to, and so I imagine you're going to get into that a little bit later when you can. So I'm curious to see if it's what I think it is. But yeah. Cool. So yeah, I mean, I just really want to echo kind of what you guys have said. I mean, big fan of this guy's work. First film I saw was Stateland, and I saw that at um, Dead by Dawn Film Fest in Edinburgh. So it was ahead of its release. Uh, it was doing the festival circuit. I thought uh, at the time was one of the most beautiful movies that I'd seen uh, in a couple of years. Actually, just the way it was shot and I th there was there was a lot going on in that movie, and it was incredibly fucking violent and brutal. But at the same time, had like a bit of a heartwarming story, albeit a, like the kind of through line where a lot of Mickle's work tends to be quite morbid and depressing. Um, I mean, this film was almost, when I read about it, it was almost tailored to me. I had Jim Mickle, who's one of my favourite directors. I had Michael C. Hall, who currently is one of my favourite actors, coming off a television show anyway. Um, I think, you know, Six Feet Under, I, I think he was 
probably one of the best things in Six Feet Under, maybe beside Francis Conroy, who I think's you know I'd like to watch anyway. Um, and then you know to see him to go on to do Dexter and create uh, you know an iconic televi- uh, television character, and that show itself has spawned a lot of more gruesome television shows. Um, but I liked what he'd done on that in that role, and then to to kind of see him go from being kind of you know the aggressor the you know the predator um of of that television show to moving into a role where he is basically the mirror opposite of that and that that quite fascinated me um i think it's wonderfully shot i think the soundtrack is absolutely amazing um, the heavy use of a kind of synth-based soundtrack, which kind of evokes John mm-hmm. Carpenter, is for not... There was at moments when it was sitting in, I could feel the hairs on the back of my neck actually stand on end. And I was like, oh, this is phenomenal. I want to see where this goes. I can't, I can't wait. And yeah, like we say, we're going to get into what happens in this movie, which basically, you know, it gives you almost cinematic whiplash. Um just by how quickly the story turns and goes in a different direction. Um, I really enjoy that. I, I would agree with what you said as well. Don Johnson has a, a smaller role in this movie, although he does have quite a bit of screen time, and he's a delight to see on screen. He has He's going through a bit of a renaissance at the moment that I can completely side with, completely agree with, and uh, want to see more of that. Um, yeah, this is... Very much, once again, like Bo said, if you've seen Blue Ruin this year, which I think is a fantastic revenge movie, it's so much more than just a revenge movie, that you should totally couple up with Golden July. I think Golden July sits comfortably, and I would argue is my, my favourite of the two. Um, of those two movies, I think Golden July just pips it, which is slightly unfair because they're on completely different levels of, of what's going on in terms of cost, structure, etc. Um, both are wonderful movies, but uh, yeah, absolutely love it. So what we'll do is we're going to grade it just now, and then we're going to go and spoil the... Oh, spoil the ever-loving fuck out of this movie, I can't wait. Um, <laughs> so so um, this is almost a... This is a formality, really, because it's Netflix rating on the podcast under the stairs. I'll kick us off. This is a five-star movie. Jamie Jenkins? Five. Boran's, though. Yeah, uh, one one point I would also uh, like to make before I grade it. Sorry. Oh, yes. I'm going to Jamie Jenkins my review. Um, <laughs> is that uh, somebody mentioned earlier, like, the, the dourness of a lot of Jim Mickle's work. Yeah. And this is the first film that I, I found to be blatantly funny at times even though it's a black comedy and just a personal preference of mine is to inject a little of that comedy in all the awfulness and this movie does that uh, it's it's certainly a five-star film excellent excellent right so we're gonna just kick this out right now from this point onwards we will be spoiling i'm gonna insert a small audio blip so you know because i genuinely don't want anyone to mistakenly hear what goes on in this movie because you need to check this one out. So we'll be right back after the blip. And we're back and we're spoiling uh, Cold in July. Um, so, right, I'm just going to rattle into basically some of the things that happen in this movie and we'll obviously go in a bit more in depth and talk about the various bits and bobs. So yeah, like we kind of, we said at the start, the like Bo had told us, um, Michael C. Hall, family man, owns a frame store. It's quite a, bit of a quiet guy you know um it's not really violent it has 
in his possession his dad's old gun but has never felt the need to use it and at the very start of the movie um, they hear a noise when he goes to the living room he sees the shadowy outline of an intruder he's startled and accidentally shoots the person in the head um, and the town react it in a way of well done you know you've done the right thing um, while he kind of rebels against that we find out that the the person he's killed the, the intruder his father has just been released from prison and um, basically the first kind of half an hour of this movie is set up in such a way that that, that father shows up at the town makes threats towards um uh, Michael C. Hall's family, in particular his son, um, Nick Dimitri, who plays the police officer in this film, uh, the, the, the sheriff, I would imagine, or whoever's in charge of the police department, he uh, offers protection, and um, the the father somehow manages to make it into the house anyway. And a, a incredibly fucking cool scene where the, you know it's during a thunderstorm and the lightning's crackling. You can see him, and then sometimes you can't see him. And it's it's very slasher actually. It's very much like a slasher movie, um, which you know that's in the wheelhouse of this sort of podcast. Um, so the police capture the father later on, um, and. At this point, um, Michael C. Hall is at the police station. He sees a wanted um, poster on the wall for the person he shot. When he looks at it, he realises it's not the same person. When he questions the police about it, Nick Dimitri tells him that, you know, you don't know, you know, you're you're in shock. Um, kind of brushes him off. Michael C. Hall won't sit with this. You know, he won't let it lie. So he um, goes to the police station, sees the... The father being put in a car by Nick Dimitri and crew and taken out. He's injected with something and left in the railway tracks. And Michael C. Hall rescues him. And then they have a conversation where Michael C. Hall basically says to him, listen, I don't think it was your son that I murdered. And manages to convince him to dig up the body. When they dig up the body, they realise it isn't the son and the fingers have been chopped off the body to stop identification. And that's where this movie takes a twist, like a big twist. Um, the father has a an ex-army friend who's Don Johnson, who's a pig farmer, private investigator. That's right, pig farmer, private investigator. Unlikely combo, but works. Um, Jim Bob Luke. Yeah, Jim Bob Luke. And um, the... Uh, he basically does a bit of investigation for them and finds out that the actual son of the father has been put into witness protection because he is going to be testifying against some gang that he was involved with. Um, so the, the the group of them go to stay out on uh, Jimbo Luke's farm, uh, the pig farm, and uh, they go out to say hello to the son and get in an altercation with a, a rather large gentleman who, in a wonderful scene, which I'll come back to, uh, attacks <laughs> Don Johnson by kind of pulling his cowboy hat over his head and attacking. I just thought it was very funny. But, um, especially Don Johnson's like retaliation and what he says. And, uh, but when they, when they're trying to get away from the car and all the rest, they hit the side of the car, the boot opens, uh, or is it the bonnet? And what do you call that? The trunk? Is that an American? Trunk, yeah, yeah, yeah. the trunk, right? We, it's the boot over here. Um, so they open the boot, and inside the boot is a series of VHS tapes. So they take one of the tapes back and look at it and find that um, basically the son is involved in what at first looks like pornography with um, illegal immigrants who are under the age. But as they watch it, they realise that it's actually snuff movies. He's basically killing 
these girls um, on video. Um, uh, at that point, uh, Don Johnson says maybe we shouldn't tell the father upstairs, but he overhears him. He watches the video um, and he makes the decision that he will kill him, his son himself because he's so bad disgusted by what the son has done. And then that enters the third chapter of this movie, which is basically the three of them planning to to take down the gang of people that are are essentially uh, abusing and murdering these uh, underage illegal girls. Um, and that's kind of where the movie runs from there and ends a, a up with a kind of climactic bloody shootout um, at a, a large house or kind of estate grounds. And um, yeah, so that kind of covers what happens. So I'll start with you this time, Bo. Um, right, so you were watching this movie... The first half an hour, you had a rough idea where things were going, and then it blindsides you with this bit of information. Um, what was going through your head when you were watching this movie? Yeah, well, I as soon as you get the revelation that, you know, hey, the, the person that he, Michael C. Hall shoots in his home mm-hmm. isn't the person they're saying it is. I was like, oh, okay, well, the movie is going to be a story about you know, this cover up by the cops or something like that. Um, you know, and, and he and Sam Shepard will be these unlikely allies as they're trying to, you know, take down uh, or, or find out who it was actually that that died in his home. And then the movie throws the snuff film on you. And you're like, holy shit, this is an entirely different movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's almost three movies. There's the story of. Uh, the the criminal father getting revenge for the death of his son mm-hmm. that then becomes the mystery of whose body is in this grave, which then becomes a story about a father having to kill his own child <laughs> because he he produces snuff films. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, the, the movie constantly shifts its narrative direction, but it never feels messy. You know, it's like it, it's done really, really well. Um, yeah, but you never know exactly what ground you're standing on. And by the end of the movie, I feel like you're left in much the same place of I don't understand precisely what all this violence meant. Mm-hmm. Only that Michael C. Hall will never be the same because of it. Yeah. You know, not not just because he's missing part of his ear. Cool, Jamie. Um, oh, I went through a lot of emotional changes watching this film. Uh, in the very beginning, when uh, when he first shoots the intruder, I had this horrible feeling that that it was going to tear his wife away from him. That that this whole thing that had happened to them was going to insert a wedge into their family. And so that's kind of where I expected it to go. I. I expected her to not be supportive of him and I expected it to be uh, a lot of issues he was dealing with with that I expected her to blame him for the fact that this guy was now coming after their family we get a little bit of that but it really doesn't do what I was afraid that it would do and I didn't want it to do that I didn't want this him to end up that way so mm-hmm. then when we find out that there is this whole other thing going on that you know that whoever's in this grave is not the person that they thought it was and uh, then he starts to work with the father then i went through this whole other change and um when we then find out that um the father's son is involved in this snuff film thing which by the way 
I actually thought it was kind of interesting when they first start watching the videotape and it's called batting practice and we yeah. see we see this girl there immediately that's what I thought of mm-hmm. I don't know what that says about me I don't know <laughs> I don't know if that was supposed to be as clear as that like um or if it just means I'm really morbid and twisted but as soon as it, like I saw that it was called batting practice I was like fuck they're gonna kill her mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and um because I just felt like it had to be darker than just porn you know, I felt like there was something really dark bubbling under the surface there just because of the way it was built. And so I wasn't really surprised by that, except it didn't matter because the we get one of, I think, one of the most powerful moments in this film is when the father, he's like, OK, just, you know, watch it. And then he goes over and <laughs> you get I mean, and you do. And like Bo mentioned the comedy earlier and there are little snippets here and there, but it just sort of makes it a little more uh makes the characters that much more believable like he's like how do you even work this thing or mm-hmm. there's a scene where don johnson asks him if ask him if he's ever seen a car phone and he's like have you ever seen one of these and he goes oh what am i talking about you've been in prison forever you know he's <laughs> like you have right. no idea what's going on and um, <laughs> i love that um but anyway the, the the scene where the father watches this film and realizes what his son is doing and then he just takes the gun or he goes out to the car grabs the gun and sits in the car. I mean, you get this moment where you're like, is is he going to commit suicide at the thought of what his son is doing? Is he can he not handle it, or what's he going to do? And so then you see him wrestling. Don Johnson just sort of like says, yeah, let's leave him alone. He sits out there forever, contemplating, and then he comes to the conclusion that the only thing he can do is put him down like a dog, mm-hmm. uh, like a dog who's gone mad. And I think that is so incredible. Because up to that point, he wanted to see his son. He'd wanted to to reconnect with him. He'd wanted to to he just wanted to meet him. And now that he knows who he is, he has to end that. And he feels like it's his responsibility to end this because it's his creation. And it just I was I was just all over the place emotionally here. And um, then we sort of get to the to the end. It sort of kicks into higher gear, and we get this amazing shootout which i thought was just oh god <laughs> it was just it was tense it was it was actiony but it wasn't like it didn't slip into like rambo 3 action it was you know it was dialed back action but it was enough to make it intense and then my thoughts are just flying all over you know we get that scene where um the michael c hall character leaves he goes back home before they go before they go on the hunt mm-hmm. and then he comes back and I love that they're just sitting there waiting for him. Like they knew they're like, yeah, he's coming back. We know this. And so he had to be a part of this. He felt he had to finish it out, which I love. And then my, my mind throughout this whole end scene is, is how is he going to, what's he going to do? Like, how is he, (laughs) how is he going to explain this missing bit of his ear? You know, like he (laughs) left, he left and then he comes home and part of his ear is missing. Like what, what you know this poor guy like i don't know i was all over the place and then the the other thought that was very pervasive was as i just had this horrible feeling that don johnson was going to get killed mm-hmm. just because i loved him so much and typically when i love a character as much as i do that means that they're doomed in a film like this and so the whole time i'm like he's going to get killed he's going to get killed i don't want him to get killed i love him so much and then he actually gets shot and i was like oh god <laughs> i think i had a very <laughs> a vocal reaction to that um then of course it ends up that you know that's okay but um which i was very happy about but yeah i was bouncing all over the place i was 
I was feeling for the Michael C. Hall character. I was there with him when he discovers that the man is in the house with his family and the cops are all around outside waiting for him. They'd set this trap. When he discovers that the man is in his house and he starts just hit like ramming his son's bedroom door with his shoulder and he's screaming and he's trying to get in there to him. I was just, I was like on the edge of my seat and that's pretty much how I was through the entire film. Mm -hmm. You know, one issue I had with their characters was how do you leave your little boy in the bedroom alone when you know that someone has been in his house, has been in your house earlier, has been in your son's bedroom and has basically threatened your son, that kid would have been sleeping with me that night. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only thing I was just like, why is that kid sleeping alone? No, he'd be sleeping with me. But, um, in fairness, that kid was kind of a jerk. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Let him fend for himself. (laughs) But I mean, that pretty much, um, I'm all over the place right now. And it's just because that's pretty much how I was then too. I mean, emotionally I was just everywhere. And, uh, I didn't really know from one second. And he just kept throwing these things at you. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as you thought that you knew where it was going, he'd throw something else at you. And I was, but it was never a bad thing. It was always a, well, all right, let's go. Now we're going this way. Let's do it. And, and he did it. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think the, the credit to this movie above all others, and I think it solely lands on Mickle's shoulders, is how he manages to weave three completely different styles of movies, or three completely different narrative styles of movies into one movie without it feeling muddled. Um, there is a there is a seamless sort of transition between the the almost three styles that Bo was talking about. Um, I mean, this I would say that this isn't necessarily a slat. Uh, sorry, this isn't necessarily a horror movie. I know it's on the horror podcast, but you know it's Jim Mickle, so we're we're doing it anyway. But like I say, that element where the the father, especially the sequence with the lightning and he's you know in the kid's bedroom and things like that, that is straight from slasher movies. That is, you know, that is like slasher horror. Um, and the, the, the first half of that movie has that feeling of it. When we go further down, it does change tonally and it does become something else. And it is funny in bits, you know, that there is a kind of sense of humour running through it. And it, the film needs that because without that, it, you know, I think the, the dramatic tone of what's going on, because a bit, basically you go from... I mean, if you take the humour out, you're, you've got a character who kills someone accidentally, has to live with those consequences, then has his child threatened by the father of that person, who then find out they've been manipulated by the police, and then stumble onto a snuff racket, which is basically, you know, I mean, it's like a it's like a never-ending fucking procession of shit things to go through, really. Um, it's I, darker, I, darker, darker. It is. Darker. Yeah, it, <laughs> it gets darker, and the humour to me is what... what kind of is almost the saving grace of the movie uh, and it's very subtly done it's not it's not slapstick comedy or that it's just the interactions or the way some of the characters speak to the other ones or you know like attention to detail about things like well you you won't know how to work this because you've not been you've been in prison um <laughs> and you know it, it's just small things like that and that's clever filmmaking and th- this film to me is full of clever filmmaking um tonally um, because you're dealing with those those different styles as well, like I say, it's very easy to get muddled in, and they don't, and the actors kind of roll with it as well. Um, everyone is is once again on their A game. Really good, solid performances here. Um, I would agree with Bo. Michael C. Hall is playing very much a different role than he's done in anything before. Um, and you know, 
I've always thought he'd. I, I genuinely have always thought he's a phenomenal actor, and I've I really kind of I I forgive Gamer, which is an awful film, and Michael C. Hall is awful in that film. Um, but I've always been interested to see where he would go after Dexter to do a movie which would basically shake off that persona that he had for eight years doing that show. And this movie's done that for me. This movie totally. Whilst at the end, he is, you know maybe slightly, just slightly more comfortable with death than he was when it started. The character still has a lot of inner turmoil and that's what he's left with and that's what he has to live with as well. Um, and, you know, I, I like that as well. Um, Don Johnson, to me, is one of the highlights of the movie. I'll, I'll be honest and upfront. He's not playing anything I've not necessarily seen him play before, but his addition to the film makes it so much better. Um, I really... I really can't say enough in a review how much I love this movie. Um, it comes out on Blu-ray officially in the UK in October and I will be buying it. And like Bo, I would have to agree, it's in my top five films of the year thus far. Um, and it's going to take an act of God to move it down, I think. This is a movie I could watch repeated times in a year and not get bored of. I think... Um, it solidifies what we said on episode 16, that Jim Mickle is one of the more interesting directors um, out there just now that if his name comes up against... His name could be attached to a rom-com tomorrow and I would go and see it. His name could be attached to a documentary about country music, which would be like... that. That to me is like... That oh my god, you'd have to pin my eyes open like they do in a clockwork orange to get me to watch a country documentary. But I would watch it if Jim Mickle's name was attached to it. I think he is as long as he keeps working as long as he remembers where he came from and he keeps working with uh, Nick Dimitri who's I've not read the book but I love to work on the script in this story. I thought um the interactions were all really good. It was a really powerful script and screenplay. And Dimitri's credited for that. And he's done it in all the previous movies. Even seeing him in this movie was pretty cool. Seeing Nick Dimitri share the screen with Michael C. Hall is, you know, was was fantastic. I absolutely love this movie. So I was, that's another thing I was going to say is I don't want to short sell Nick Dimitri's screenwriting skills because he's been working with him mm -hmm. repeatedly on these films and. Uh, as much as Mikkel is responsible for the direction of this film, uh, Dimitri has done amazing jobs with with the scripts. And so I hope that the, the two of them will continue to work together mm -hmm. in the future because I think that what they, they the product that they end up with is beautiful. And they both continue to improve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that too. Yeah, that... Yeah, I mean, he's definitely become... A, not become. He was a director to watch now... He's just a proven commodity. Mm -hmm. You know, I, th I think this movie for me between because I have my problems with Stakeland. Um, I thought We Are What We Are was, was a tremendous film. Mm -hmm. And doing these two films back to back, he's just, you know, he, he's elevated in my mind um, to a director that is just a sure thing. You know, you're at least going to get something interesting, if not substantially quality. Uh, out of, in terms of filmmaking one question I have though so uh, maybe I just missed it in my viewing mm -hmm. but we in, during the course of the film we just dropped the mystery of who's in the coffin right? Correct yeah okay. kinda, I, th I think at that point I think when they get to that point that's that's no longer what the film 
I, I know what you're saying, and I, I, to me, on some level, I think that Michael C. Hall then has to to do something with that later on after the movie. I, I think as soon as the reveal is there that that's not his son, you know, the the movie changes to, well, where is his son? And as soon as they find out who his son is, then it's, you know, ultimately, ultimately, that could be seen as a plot hole, but I I, I don't really focus, it never even actually crossed my mind, Bo, until we mentioned it there, that we don't really get an understanding of who that is. Um, Maybe we'll get to see it in colder in August. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and, and I think that, yeah, I think you're right, though. I, I think that the movie at a certain point is saying that no longer matters because the horror of these snuff films supersedes anything else. Like uh, the the murder mystery and all that stuff is unimportant when you're when you're presented with just the most horrible thing you can imagine, which is women raped, then murdered. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just that is awfulness. Mm-hmm. If you look up awfulness in the dictionary. It says women raped and murdered on film. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's it. I mean, I, I and I think that's an interesting choice, you know, and it, it does drive me, though, to uh, to be curious about the novel in that. I wonder if that notion is explored more, mm-hmm. you know, or or if there if there is a more defined abandonment of that idea, if yeah. that makes sense. And I was I wondered that myself while I was watching this I kept waiting or hoping that something else would come up even if it was just a little bit just to give us an idea of what of what happened there and and who that was and and I was curious about it ultimately it didn't taint the film for me uh because I enjoyed the hell out of it so much that it didn't really matter but I did have a curiosity about it Mm -hmm. yeah I I mean like I say it never even I'm quite interested about that now, and I'll probably check. I'll go check the novel out anyway because this film sold it to me anyway. That even if that there's, and it's not a, not a author that I've really checked out before, but it blew my mind to find it that I wrote Bubba Hotep, and I'm still trying to get my head around that. So um, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, we'll we'll quickly we'll just well we'll just kind of close this this uh, review up because uh, we've got plenty more coming up on this anniversary show but yeah so I think what we're all saying here is this movie is phenomenal Jim Mickle is amazing and there is no reason for any person listening to this podcast to not check out this movie am I right? Yeah absolutely I 100% agree with that Can't argue Well I would like to thank my very special guest for coming on to do this uh, this review of Cold in July so thank you very much to Bo Ransdell and Jamie Jenkins would you like to say goodbye to my listeners please goodbye to my goodbye listeners goodbye listeners oh, Jamie everything <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought when Bo came in there I was like oh they're going to in unison um, but no that's that. <laughs> so um, I'm going to take a very short break when I return there's going to be more goodies coming your way people it's one years of the, the podcast under the stairs and we're celebrating like it's 1999 <laughs> Predating podcasts, and that's right, that's what we're doing. Um, so uh, The we'll podcast right. that invented podcasts. Yeah, those like went back and changed the, the past, and now, I don't know, I, I've lost my train of thought, this train has been derailed. Right, I'm going to be right uh, back. Are you Sarah Connor? <laughs> Sarah we Connor. must do a podcast. <laughs> oh my God. What's a podcast? <laughs> Come with no. me if you want to podcast. Come with me if you want to podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> Give me your clothes, your boots, and your podcast. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, well, we could keep doing this, but we're not going to. Um, so I will be right back after this break. Hey, Duncan, this is Ryan from Graveshift Radio. I just wanted to drop a line to uh, wish you a happy anniversary. Uh, the show is absolutely one of my favorites. I enjoy listening to this show I have since episode one. And now knowing it's a year later and everything that the show has become just makes me more excited to know that the show is still going on strong and the fact that you have become a good friend. Keep on going, brother, and happy anniversary. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome back to the closeout of this one year anniversary show for the podcast Under the Stairs. I hope you guys have enjoyed some of the stuff and the content on this uh, incredible long but mad show uh, special thanks to Jamie and Bo for doing the Cold in July review um, Johnny Krug for coming out and doing the White of the Eye review and the Baz oh, I can do a show with it the Baz um, for shooting the shit with me and then doing the Ask Duncan section um, that was a lot of fun I hope you guys enjoyed it um, let me know if you get a chance to check out either one of the movies that were discussed on this episode you can come across the Facebook page and leave us a bit of stuff there uh, letting us know whether or not you agree with the opinions on the show or not um so uh, just to kind of close out the show um generally what i would do is i would um pimp other people's shows which is kind of what i'm going to do here but it's more just like a thanks to the kind of everyone that's that's made it possible for me to do these shows for the last year obviously for those keeping up uh, with the shows uh, you'll know that if this if this is your first listen you may be surprised if you jump back to episode one obviously um graham my co-host graham humphrey he started the show with me um, and we had um 14 fantastic shows together uh, where we discussed loads of weird and wonderful stuff and even the top 10 best british horror movies selected by ourselves uh, Graham now lives in Canada, um, so he he couldn't obviously commit the the full amount of time, even though he wanted to to the show, um, and he will be coming back every now and again for for different things, even if it's just to rub it in my face how many awesome movies he gets to see at the Toronto International Film Festival, which is uh, words can't describe the jealousy that I hold against that man at the moment. Um, but yeah, so when Graham left the show, it was obviously. You know, there was doubts whether or not we'd continue doing the show or not. And um, by, by that point, Baz had already come on. And Baz has taken a lot of the slack there by coming on and doing various different movie reviews as well as actually just doing, like, the Baz V Horror segments. But um, what I was most thankful for was that other podcasters um, from other shows that I admire and respect greatly have come across to do shows with me um, to kind of fill that gap. I mean, I don't... Whilst it is like a kind of solo podcast, I do. I don't want it just to be me talking every single week. I I am not as interesting as your uh, your Johnny Krugs or your your Corey Graham's or anything like that. I always felt that I bims quite well off other people. So um, I mean that's that's been a, a big part of this show, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed. Um, the diversity of other guest hosts coming on from other shows, and hopefully after listening to them on this show, you've went away and checked their shows. Uh, it's been it's been a pretty hectic first year. Um, I've went from having just a podcast under the stairs to to now being involved with another two 
podcasts um, and Duncan and Bo Come Correct, which I get to do with Bo Ransdell every fortnight, which is a lot of fun. I get a chance to chat about films which are not specifically in the horror genre. And also um, to be asked to be part of the Midnight Horror Show has been one of the coolest things ever. Um, I, I respect those guys so much it's unbelievable and it's the most fun I get to do and it's two hours every week of just having a laugh with, with guys and just shooting the shit so it's just a lot of fun so hopefully you're going out to check those guys out obviously I also still do um, podcast and contribute to Rock and Reel Reviews uh, you can check out that stuff on rockandreelreviews.com that's rock n real reviews r-e-e-l reviews.com I do a fortnightly podcast there and, and, and the occasional review I'm going to try and get more reviews written up there but it's been quite hectic um, but yeah just coming back onto the podcasters that have come on um, a huge huge thanks to Jamie Jenkins who's partially responsible for this podcast starting um, she was the one that really kind of gave me the kick up the arse that I needed to go and kind of start it and has tirelessly plugged this show from day one on pretty much every show she's on and she's on she's on the model. So um, much love to that lady. I, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for her. Um, Bo Ransdell, um, like I say, I get a chance to do a podcast with him separately, but Bo is another one that has been on the show. Fascinating conversation with him about Sightseers, The Battery, and um, a lesser-known Park Chan-wook film, Stoker, which people should be going and checking out. Fucking love that movie. Um, David Anders Jr. from Devour, he's also been on. He came on to do The Wicker Man as part of the top 10 best and worst horror remakes. Um, Ryan Lewis from Graveshift Radio. Love Graveshift Radio. Fucking brilliant podcast. Uh, he's recently been over to, to chat with me about Night of the Living Dead and um, 13 Ghosts on the top 10 best and worst horror remakes. Uh, Gary Hill. Gary Hill... I got an opportunity to chat on two of his shows right at the start of my kind of podcast career. Uh, both both shows Cinema Beef put out did a special Cinema Beef with him with uh, Corey Graham and Jesse Bollinger from uh, Horacopia, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we talked about zombie movies, uh, four kind of quirky, lesser known zombie comedies, which was all, which was really, really cool. Um, Gary's been on since then. He's done a couple of stints on this show and I love that guy and hopefully he'll be back on soon. Um, where it, oh, it keeps going, uh, we've had Alex Edwards uh, from The Skeleton Crew. Dan Chase has been on this show. He did the Grindhouse special with me, which was a lot of fun. Um, oh man, I'm trying to make sure that I don't forget people here, which is really fucking difficult. Uh, Dave Buchanan from Rock and Real Reviews has obviously obviously been on the show. Mark Ball from the Midnight Horror Show has been on a couple of times as well. Two of my highest downloaded shows as well, so I don't know. There's obviously a lot of sex appeal out there for Mark fans. Um, Danny Trioxin has recently appeared on my show as well, which is which has been great. Corey Graham, Johnny Krug has been on quite a lot recently, and I really, I'm really quite thankful for that because I've got a lot of time for Johnny. Um, during my Halloween specials, we had Mike from Evil Episodes, we had Iris came on. I, I've not chatted to Iris since, and I really need to get my finger out and, and get that sorry because Iris is a blast to talk to. Um, so th those guys have been over on the show chatting. It's it's just been it's been quite cool that I've managed to. Do a show which other people, other people that do podcasts have checked out and they seem to like it, um, even if they disagree with my opinions. And um, 
like I said before, it's all done in good fun. I mean, Brian Sammons is is always good for for coming on and wagging a a, a sarcastic finger at me, <laughs> telling me that I might have got things wrong, and I appreciate that. Um, Jason Lloyd, the guy that runs horror. Horophilia, um, one of the busiest. He must just be constantly swamped with the thousands of screeners that get sent to him that he has to review, as well as doing his own show, uh, My Bloody Podcast, and also running his own network, which is just ridiculous. Um, but he's he's a great guy, uh, and he's another one who regularly I'll say I don't know if I agree with you there, Jason, but he 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 knows it's all done in good fun and and whatnot. Um, the guys over at Banana Laser, Dave Z and uh, Matt Wazell, um, I'm sure it's not Wazell, but we'll, we'll just call him that anyway, um, one of my favourite shows, I mean genuinely, they started about the same time as me and their podcast is phenomenal, so if you haven't checked them out, go and check them out. Um, so yeah, I've chatted to, to loads of different podcasters, but ultimately it comes down to you guys that have listened to the show. Um, the Facebook page currently stands at 125 members, which is mind-boggling. Um, you guys really are awesome. Um, you make the show 100% what it is. Um, I, I love the fact that you all get involved with Baz V Horror. You have the same pleasure and torture in the Baz as I do, which is a, it's a great bonus in doing this show, is scaring the shit out of him. Where we can, where we can, you know what I mean? He's obviously got Baz V Horror coming up, which is five weeks of, of me picking movies to throw at him. They might not all necessarily scare him, but hopefully they'll stay with him. Um, but you guys have been absolutely fantastic um, over on the Facebook page. Now, there are listeners out there, I know for a fact, that haven't come to the Facebook page yet, and it is never too late to do so. All you have to do is go to Facebook and type in the top search bar, podcast, under the stairs, come across to the closed group, some will add you, and you can get involved with the, the many fun conversations about different horror things that we have going on over there. Um, so I think that really kind of wraps this up. Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting to you for this first year. Um, the plans for the show coming up is that we will be finishing off the top 10 best and worst horror remakes as selected by the podcast under the stairs we will then jump into five weeks of Baz v Halloween and when we return off that we will then have the special one year anniversary for Baz v Horror which is like a I'll be interviewing Baz with a lot of clips of his best and worst from some of the shows that he's done which will be which will be a lot of fun then after that the podcast under the stairs will undertake a slight makeover it'll, it'll be slightly changed a slight kind of facelift for the show the format will change slightly as we enter our second year, um, but hopefully you will all still enjoy the content of that, and I look forward to trying try to bring you as much of that as possible, um, still try to put shows out once a week, I think I've been fairly good at that actually, even if it's just been a bonus show that's dropped, um, I think I'm pretty much... If I'm not at fifty-two episodes, I'm maybe one or two out from it, which is which is pretty cool. Um, so I will endeavour to try and keep those shows coming, um, about one a week, and I'll try and. Uh, Gary had said in his message, I have tried to not go down the road of just doing kind of franchise horror. Um, I reckon the Basvi horror segment will, will start incorporating some franchise horror, but um, try and pick just whether it's a new movie or it's an obscure older movie. And just sit down and chat about them and see what I make of them. I, w- I will, where possible, try and open it up to some listener suggestions, uh, which would be quite cool because I've never actually, I've done that for Baz V Horror, but never done it actually just on the show, just 
hopefully you guys picking a film for me to check out. So I look forward to that as well. So there's plenty of things coming up. Um, as always, I love you guys. You're absolutely fantastic. Keep the feedback coming. If you haven't had a chance yet, please jump over to iTunes and leave me a rating there. Um, it's for purely selfish reasons on my part. If you leave me a rating there, if it's a good rating, it bolsters my position in iTunes, which basically means that more people are likely to come across the podcast. Also, if you if that's too much, you just don't want to do that, you don't like the idea of leaving ratings or whatnot, if you have a friend that listens to podcasts or anyone that's interested in horror at all, tell them to check out the page. Tell them to check out the show, see what they think of it. Um, I am not, <laughs> I would never be uh, too shy to say, pimp my show, go for it guys. Um, <laughs> it can be quite fun. And um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's been a fantastic year one. And I look forward to trying to live up to the very high standards that you guys have, have allowed me to do from year one as we move into year two. So, from Under the Stairs, this is your host, Duncan McLeish, saying thank you very much for the support. And here's to year number two. Bye, everyone. What? 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 Oh.
Watch your mouth. My mama raised me in the dirty south. A country gentleman. 